we've got an early episode of That's What G Said this week. Monday, August the 17th, 2020. We've got an NBA playoff preview for you. Um, That's What G Said. We're going to talk a little bit about Hard Knocks, episode 1, that aired last week on Tuesday that uh, covered the Chargers and the Rams. We're going to give you a full recap of that episode. And then we're going to talk some Monday and Tuesday racing. Dave Handelin joins us to talk about Canterbury for Monday and for Tuesday. We talk about those pick fives there. So Monday pick five, Tuesday pick five with Dave. And then we close things out with the old wrestling rewatch, SummerSlam 1989. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join. It's Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake in the main event against the Macho King Macho... He's not quite the king yet. He's still the macho man, and uh, and Zeus with uh, with sensational Sherry. Yes, Zeus, the same Zeus from No Holds Bar. So we had a lot of fun talking about that. Before we get into the uh, the NBA playoff preview, a couple quick things to discuss. Our friends over at Stable Duel, the horse racing contest uh, app. Uh, you can download Stable Duel on your uh, your phones, your iPads, you know, all all, all the uh, the app stores. They have tweaked some of the the, con- the contests now, the the formats for some of them, because you know you, there are more people playing. There are more contests now to play, so there are still some of the the regular contests that pay out to a bunch of different positions all the way down. So you know you can get involved for five bucks, and and they'll pay out sometimes down to the the top thirty, forty, fifty, depending on how many people are in a contest. But now they have some of these more. Heavily weighted towards the top contests, which are really fun. They've got winner take alls, and they've got uh, top ten payout contests too. So, you if you you know if you're in the top ten, you're going to get a little bit more, and if you win, you're definitely going to be getting a little bit more. So, continue to uh, to watch Stable Duel for new developments. If you if you keep hearing us talk about it, and if you and you've never played, now is a great time to to take a chance and and uh, check out when they have their contests up and, and their new game. So go download the app Stable Duel. If you have any questions at all, let me know. It has been a very good week or so for the Dodgers and really for the Yankees. Quickly, these two teams are right. Where everybody thought they would be And after You know, it's funny We've talked about the Dodgers a few times now and It felt like it was a very slow Sort of disappointing start for them And all of a sudden they're up at 16-7 and and they've got the best record In the National League They're two games up on the Rockies And after a three game losing streak now The Dodgers have a better record than the Cubs Who got off to a really good start They're still three and a half games up in the division They're 13-6 and and that's Going to be a weird division the way things play out With St. Louis who's only played 8 games now And they're having to make up with all these Double headers so it's going to be A difficult situation for them The Cubs have put themselves in a great spot But but the 5 straight wins for the Dodgers And they are just scoring runs All over Cody Bellinger Starting to heat up a little bit We got a great game, a pitching outing from Kershaw Mookie Betts has just been on a tear And the lineup top to bottom It's just different Guys, every day, Corey Seager, Pollock, Taylor, Muncy's struggling, but he's you know jumping up here and there with big hits. Rios uh, has come through with some big opportunities, and they're playing as they were projected to. They have a plus sixty run differential now, in you know seven and three in the last ten. They've won five in a row. They're actually ten and two on the road, which is sort of interesting because now 
there, you know, there's no fans. You're obviously traveling. You're not traveling a whole ton, but without the opposing crowd, it's a totally different dynamic. And so, they uh, that that has not seemed to the traveled and uh, playing on the road has not bothered the Dodgers one bit. And that plus sixty run differential, just to give you an idea, the second best team in the league with as far as run differential is concerned is the Yankees, and they have a plus thirty five. So the Dodgers are just crushing teams, and when they're losing, they're barely losing. And you can look back at their seven losses, and you know what? They probably shouldn't have lost like five of them. They were games where they were just kind of playing a little lazy, a little small mistake here or there, never really outplayed, didn't hit timely, a bad pitch or two. It's starting to come together very nicely now for the Dodgers. So in the National League right now, the – the Dodgers are up top of the West, 16 and 7. The Rockies are uh, right behind them at 13 and 8, and the D-backs are at 11 and 11. They're at 500 now. Uh, they're the Padres, but they they had a good start, but they've lost five games in a row, so they they dropped below 500. In the Central, the Cubbies are up at 13 and 6. They're at the top of the division. The Cardinals are 4 and 4. They're starting to make up those games. The Brewers are at 500. They're 10 and 10. The Reds trying to climb over that 500. They're at 9 and 11. And the Pirates are one of the worst teams in the league. They only have four wins. They are four and fourteen. I mean, they have the lowest win total in the league, and by every metric, they are one of the, if not the worst team in the league. The National League East, competitive as we would assume, just not who we would have thought was up front. Even after a couple losses, the Marlins are still uh, up top the division. They are nine and six. They're tied with the Braves, who are thirteen and ten. Phillies are eight and nine. A couple games behind them, the Nationals are eight and eleven, and the Mets are nine and fourteen. They are uh, four games out of the division lead there in the National League East. Over in the American League, yet those Yankees—they've won five in a row now too. They are starting to heat up and play some good baseball, and they have you know the second best run differential and tied for the best run differential in the American League. We've got a couple good-looking teams now in the American League. Tampa starting to come together and play some good ball. <laughs> These teams are all beating up on the Red Sox who look dreadful. The Red Sox are 6 and 16. They have a minus 42 run differential. They are abysmal. They have a horrendous pitching staff and their lineup that's always been good and steady has really struggled. And the Orioles, you know, they they're playing good ball still too. They're twelve and nine, and I'd love to see the Orioles be able to fight around for one of those playoff spots in the AL Central. The Twins are fourteen and eight. The Indians are thirteen and nine, and the White Sox are eleven and eleven. So the Tigers, after that hot start, they've lost five in a row now, and the Royals are a few games under five hundred. So starting to take shape as it as we assumed it would in the Central. Now with the Twins, the Indians, and the White Sox, the three better teams there. And the Astros are playing some good ball. They've actually now won four in a row. They're above 500. They're 11 and 10. Problem is, is the team they're chasing in the division, the Athletics, uh, they've won four in a row. They're 16 and 6, and they're one of the best teams in baseball. So the Astros, they've struggled. Can they sustain it? They don't have a ton of pitching, but they're getting uh, they're getting good performances from some of their young arms. The Rangers are 10 and 10, and uh, the Angels and the Mariners. Four, the Angels have lost four in a row. The Mariners have lost five in a row. So you're, you know, you're, you're season now. You're seven and fifteen and seven and sixteen. You're in, you're in some trouble right now. You're already, you know, five games out of a playoff spot. Baseball, we will continue to monitor 
everything that goes on. It's just a different baseball season this year because everything really does matter. Every two or three games are so much different than a normal year where yeah, those two or three games wouldn't really matter. NBA playoffs time. Really got to applaud the NBA with the what they did with the bubble, with the play-in tournament, the restart, everything with the the teams battling to get into that eight spot. It was exciting. We all loved watching uh, Lillard and how incredible he was over the last you know couple weeks. The Suns were really fun to watch. Jaw Morant in that playing game on Saturday. Jaw and the the Grizzlies they battled. I, th- I really thought they were going to win that first game, and then I thought Portland would come back and beat them on Sunday, but. They just down the stretch. There were a couple big turnovers from Jaw and McCollum and Carmelo were able to. They they did a great job trying to get the ball out of Lillard's hands. They wanted to force others on the Blazers to beat them, and they did. Whether it was McCollum, Nurkic, Melo hit a big shot or two, even Trent who struggled, he hit a big three when they needed him. So timely shot making for Portland, and they were able to get in. We're going to start on the East first. We're going to go through the uh, the playoff matchups with uh, the number one versus the number eight Bucks versus the Magic. You know, we, we got a, a Bucks team who didn't look great in the bubble. They struggled a little bit, and a lot of times because it's just it's difficult, right? They're fifty six and seventeen. They were three and five in the bubble. They were four and zero against Orlando this year. They didn't really have anything to play for. Once they were able to clinch that number one seed, what are the Bucks playing for? Just getting back into shape. These wins don't matter. You, you, if there's a 50-50 ball, are you going to go for it every time and worry You know about maybe risking an injury? It, it was a difficult spot for some teams that, you know, I think the Lakers and for the Bucks in particular because you get to the point where you secure everything and now the most important thing is staying healthy. You don't want to lose one of your key contributors. So if Orlando won a game or two, that would be a, a, a win. It really would. What hurt Orlando now... Um, 33 and 40 overall. They're three and five. They were three and five in the bubble. They have the number 23 offensive rating, the number 11 defensive rating. But with no Jonathan Isaac at the torn ACL, that's a huge miss. He was someone they were going to have to put on Giannis for large periods of time, and they just don't have the personnel and the bodies to throw at Giannis anymore. The way you could beat the Bucks is if you hit the three and you shoot the three at a large clip. And the Magic were just 25th in the league in three-point percentage at 34.3%. It doesn't feel like the matchup is fit for them to capitalize on one of the Bucks' weaknesses. Remember how good the Bucks were before the bubble? I don't know if they're as good as some of the numbers would have indicated, but they're a better team than they've looked in these few weeks. What I didn't like is what Giannis did. He got suspended for headbutting Mo Wagner... From the, the Wizards in a totally meaningless game So if a guy like that can get under your skin And force you to headbutt him To where he got suspended for the final game of the bubble And honestly he should have gotten suspended For one or two of these playoff games He went right up and headbutted the guy If that would have been in a lot of other players I think they would have gotten suspended multiple games But you know he's your MVP And you, you don't want him to be missing big games It's he. I, I didn't like it We've seen him go through a playoff grind But is there something else going on that, that's going to rattle him, maybe? I mean, this is the team that gave up some of the like l- historical three-point attempted per game and three made three-pointers per game. The Bucks will try to... They'll let you shoot the three, and they will not let you get easy buckets down low. And they will force you to hit the three. 
They were league-leading in defensive efficiency before the bubble. During the bubble, they were just top eight. One thing about them in a close game, in a close matchup, which I don't think they're going to get here, they're bottom five in free throw percentage at 74.2%. And that's the key with Giannis as they, after they get through this. They're the number one defensive rating overall, number eight defensive, uh, number eight offensive rating, first in points per game. But Giannis is only a three-point, uh, 30% three-point shooter, and he only shoots 63% from the free throw line. If he's missing free throws and he's missing threes and you have the type of defense that can block the paint and make it difficult on him, that's how you beat the Bucks. It just Orlando doesn't have that. They can't shoot the three well enough and they don't have a, a defensive stoppers in the paint to make it difficult on him. We're going to be looking at Vucevic, Nikola Vucevic, Gordon, Fournier, Fultz, Terrence Ross, DJ Augustine, James Ennis. That's going to be the, the bulk of the minutes for the Magic. And over with the Bucks, they just have such a deeper team with Chris Middleton, Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, Matthews. You got the other Lopez, Robin Lopez, Dante Vincenzo, George Hill, Marvin Williams, Pat Connaughton. You're going to get some Kyle Korver in the mix there too. So I'm saying four, one, maybe, but I, I'm going to make a prediction of a sweep here, four zero. I just think that that Isaac, the injury from Isaac. Not only hurts them on what would happen On the floor, I think it takes a little Bit of of starch away from an Orlando Magic team that knew everything would have to go Right for them to have an opportunity in a Series like this, and then you lose one of your your Young up and coming better players And I think it it Doesn't give you a good feeling going into This series In the 2-7 matchup, we got Toronto Against Brooklyn, and these are two teams That I really respect a, a lot right now Gotta be honest, Toronto what they've done this year After winning the title last year Losing Kawhi, losing Danny Green And not really adding much They've just had So many of their key Key players take a step Forward and take more on Van Vliet, Siakam And Obi, Powell In particular, those four have all improved So much and you throw them With the veteran Quality of Lowry Ibaka, Gasol It gives you so much versatility With this team They have the nice wings to throw at you there Some good size to throw at you They can they can match up in, in many different ways And they were the team that got down Because of being in Toronto They had to get down to Orlando early And quarantine longer And they've been down there And they've gelled as a team And you can see Their defense has been incredible they inside the bubble they had the best defensive rating by a long shot they were number 2 overall defensive rating throughout the season number 13 with the offensive rating they're fifth in three point percentage they uh, were mid pack regular season with 15 turnovers a game 15.1 in the bubble they did have an 18.7 uh, average of turnovers per game Which was the most in the league So they were turning the ball over a, a lot Brooklyn uh, I tell you And Toronto went 6-1 and one in the bubble They were really good Brooklyn 35-37 and 37, They went 5-3 and three in the bubble And had no business winning 5 games And they really should have beat the Blazers at the end uh, in, that, in that final game When Levert Sort of Levert was awesome It was so good 
and Lillier was so good, and Lavert had a chance to win the game at the very end, and he sort of, I don't want to say settle, but he settled for a jumper instead of taking to the rim when he was getting to the rim at will. So, they're, they're just undermanned. They actually scored 115 points in six straight games in the bubble. But you look at the way they need to score. It's a, it's so much Karis Levert with with the defense and the options that Toronto has to throw at Brooklyn. They're going to make it so difficult on him. Levert, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Garrett Temple, Timothy Luwanu, Tyler Johnson, Krukus, and Justin Anderson. They're missing three of their top five minutes per game players. No Kyrie, obviously, no Dinwiddie, no Torian Prince, no DeAndre Jordan, no Wilson Chandler. It just feels like too big of a hill to climb. And the 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 one and two seeds wouldn't be shocking if they were both sweeps to me in uh, in the East. I think Brooklyn will, maybe will get one. I'll say four one here, but very easily could be a sweep on uh, with both the uh, the one and eight with Milwaukee and Orlando, and then the two and seven with Toronto and Brooklyn. We move on to the 3-6 This is going to be an upset I'm going to pick And it, it, I think the Celtics are the better team than, than what this group of the 76ers has But This is going to be The moment for Joel Embiid This is going to be what he's wanted He's wanted to be the guy He's wanted to be the star He's wanted to be the focus The center of attention And he's going to be it in this series He has to be the best player on the court the Celtics are deeper. They're playing pretty well right now. But I think a lot of uh, a lot of folks are sort of dismissing the rest of the the 76ers roster. Joel Embiid could, you know, have incredible games and and lead this team. But it's not as if the rest of the 76ers are a bunch of slouches. They're going to need big performances. From the likes of Tobias Harris Which could, you know, Tobias Harris averages under 20 points Just under 20 points a game They're going to need big performances from Jason, uh, from Josh Richardson Who has the opportunity to take his game to the next level They're going to need Al Horford to lead To help facilitate things, to help run the offense To help stretch the court They can win this series I actually think... In a situation without Ben For a few games It doesn't It won't hurt them as much As You know As as it would over a long period of time I don't think Philly is good enough to win What's funny about this matchup I don't think Philly could beat Toronto or Milwaukee Because I think they have Too many bigs to throw at them Who's going to guard Joel Embiid? We're talking Tice We're talking Cantor, we're talking Williams I don't know If jo- if Joel is playing well And he's able to stay healthy Through this series And keep in mind, he doesn't have to play 7 good games He's got to play 4 good games Or 5, like every other game Play really well Doesn't have to worry about going on the road To play in Boston Where Philly was horrible on the road all year long And If Embiid is getting double teamed And he can make the pass To Tobias Harris To Josh Richardson To a Horford To a Shake Milton 
who's had to take over now and, and sort of run the show. They've talked a lot about Matisse Thibel, who is an excellent defensive player, and they're going to need to throw him on, you know, Tatum, Brown, Hayward. Problem is, Tybal doesn't really have much from an, uh, an offensive standpoint. He doesn't shoot well, and he's, he's not much of an offensive threat. So you put him in the game, you're basically able to... Boston's able to really leave him alone on the other side of the court. If this was the second or third series in the playoffs, I would be worried that Embiid was a little too tired. But in the first round, I think he can do it. I think this series goes seven. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Philly here to upset Boston. And and what's funny about this is I would pick Boston. I think to beat. I, I would pick Toronto to beat Boston, but I would pick both both Toronto and Boston to beat Milwaukee. It's just all about matchups, and I think Boston does not have the bigs they need to throw at Embiid to make him work. Now, wings can Harris, can No Richardson, can Tybal help slow down the wings of the Celtics. The Celtics are number four in offensive rating, number four in defensive rating. Philly was number eight in defensive rating, number fourteen in offensive rating. Celtics forty-eight and twenty-four, five and three in the bubble. Philly forty-two and thirty-three and four in the bubble. What's up with the health of Kemba Walker? What are we going to get out of him? Gordon Hayward looked really good. In his last seven games, he averaged just under five free throw attempts, which was basically twice what he was averaging during the season. You're attacking the rim, feeling a little froggy out there, feeling a little healthy. But the reason why I think this will be a a good series and will end up going seven, too, is you you look at, at Boston, and from a depth perspective, they're not the deepest team in the world once you get past their starters. You got Tatum, Walker, Kemba, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Tice, Smart. You go six deep solidly. What will they be able to get from Cantor? And then anybody else on their bench? Do you trust anybody else on their bench? Are they going to be able to get big minutes from, from Robert Williams? Is he going to be able to give them a few good minutes against Joel in here? And, and that's the thing. Is Joel ready to take on to take on this load? Can he be the man and dominate a series like this? He absolutely has the talent to do so. Does he have the maturity and the composure? And what scares me about picking Philly is from a coaching perspective, I think, you know, Brad Stevens is much, much better than than Brett Brown. Just worlds better. So I like this series. I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to go seven. And I'm going to pick Philly in seven just because of the matchup. Can we get a good Embiid game every other game in here? Can he be good enough to carry this team? The four five matchup out in the East is the Heat versus the Pacers. And the Pacers are going to be without Sabonis. We hear that. TJ Warren has plantar fasciitis. He should be playing, but he might be banged up a little bit. 
For the Heat, Nunn is going to have to be getting back into the swing of things. And remember the the Jimmy Butler TJ Warren rivalry that they've had. Now Jimmy Butler has said that that's done. They played against each other the other day, and after TJ Warren was unbelievable in the bubble, he averaged 31 points per game, shooting 50 just under 58 percent from the field. But against the Heat, he he didn't play very well, and he was five for 14 on August the 10th. So the Pacers. It just it's unfortunate. Every year they get there, they have a good year, they overachieve, they get to the playoffs, and then it seems like they have they have a big injury and they're missing a key piece. And this year it's the same thing. They're going to be missing Sabonis. Does my does Turner have enough? Is he enough of a big man to be able to defend, score, give them everything they would need from a big? I don't know. He likes to stretch the floor a little bit more. And is Oladipo all the way back? Is he completely ready? Is is he going to give us any semblance of the old Victor Oladipo? Does he feel comfortable? Because now we're looking at no Sabonis. Malcolm Brogdon has looked good. He's been back and he's looked good. And he's had some good playoff runs too. He's He is a clutch player. So if you get Warren, Brogdon, Oladipo... Turner, I I don't know if that's enough to match up with a, a Heat team who is pretty deep. You know, you look at this Heat team, and they actually are number seven in offensive rating, number twelve in defensive rating. Pacers are six in defensive rating and number nineteen in offensive rating. But the the Heat are the number one shooting three point percentage team in the league. They shot thirty eight percent. So, you know, they're a team that has a, they have a ton of firepower. They're built pretty well. And what's nice about them is they also have a closer now in Butler. Something that they may have not had in years past when they were always teams that seemed to overachieve. So with Butler, with Drogic, Adebayo is the key. With his size, can Turner... Match up with Adebayo? I don't think so. And if Turner gets in trouble with no Sabonis, who does Indiana have to go to as your next big man? They are so thin with bigs off the bench. Miami, on the other hand, you know, Butler, Drogic, Adebayo, if Hero and Duncan Robinson, they. They are a well built team that. I think is going to get through a tough first round series. It's first round series with an Indiana team that always plays tough. But I think Miami wins this in six. And I think Miami will go on and put up a good fight against Milwaukee, but still come up a a little bit short there. So I think Miami beats the Pacers in six. And um, a lot of it, you know, because I have so many question marks about the Pacers without, without a Sabonis, with question marks about Warren's health, with question marks about Oladipo. Before we get over to the West, let's talk a little bit about Thrive Fantasy, a new DFS app for prop betting. And if you check out Thrive Fantasy and you deposit $20, you'll get an instant $20 bonus credit if you use the promo code GINO, G-I-N-O. Punch that promo code in. So what 
Thrive Fantasy is. It's like a, one of those daily fantasy apps that uh, that you've seen, you know, where you can play in all these different contests. But this one is built around prop betting, and so what you will do is you'll build your lineup and you will pick from the props that they have, and you will select totals on the props over or under, and there will be a point total selected um, right uh, along with which that you that you pick. So, for example, Tom Brady will he throw for over or under 250 yards? Over, you'll get 100 points. Under, you'll get 80. You pick and choose. You build your lineup all the way down. Promo code GINO gets you an instant $20 bonus credit soon as you uh, you put that promo code in and you deposit your 20. So deposit your 20, promo code GINO. You can play in contests where you're playing for a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, $100, where you're playing against hundreds of other, other competitors, head to heads, where you're playing in groups of five or 10. And I mean, I'm always in this. I always have checked out these sites. You, uh, if you have any questions at all, Thrive Fantasy, let me know. I'll help you get through the process. And hey, who, who doesn't like playing or, or checking something out when you get a nice little bonus? And if you are just interested, you've heard it, you like to play these different fantasy sports stuff, they have baseball, basketball, when football will be back up. They've got golf going on right now, soccer, League of Legends. Every sport that's happening, they have different contests going over on Thrive Fantasy. Promo code G-I-N-O. Make that $20 deposit. It'll get you 20 bucks right back in your account. Let's talk West, and we'll start with uh, the 1 versus the 8, Lakers versus Trailblazers. And if you were just following along on social media or listening to some of the uh, the you know the shows out there or watching some of the, 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 the television, you would think that the Blazers were the favorites to win this. Um, and the Blazers have been on this really cool run where they've they've had to win every game basically in order to keep going over the last week week and a half in order to get to the point where they were and they had you know a couple different times where if they would have lost one more game they wouldn't have even had the opportunity to, to get into a play and that's how tight it was towards the end. The problem that I have is is I think they're going to run out of gas here and. The way that they've been being covered, it's been as if they've been blowing teams out. They did all of this to get into the eighth spot, and they were allowing a ton of points in all these games and playing zero defense. They just allowed 130 point plus points to the the Nets that were not they were undermanned. They were not a deep Nets roster. So if the people out there that are picking the Blazers to win this series and say that they don't like the Lakers in this series. If you're saying it's because you don't think the Lakers were gonna, are going to be able to shut down Damian Lillard, I can agree with you. I don't think they'll be able to shut him down. I think you can do whatever you can to make things as, as difficult as possible on him, but you'll never really be able to shut down a really good player who's in a, a rhythm like he is. The, the problem is, who's going to stop LeBron or Anthony Davis? First, let's go with LeBron. You're going to put Carmelo Anthony on LeBron? Good luck in that situation. Number two... Nurkic is not going to be able to keep up with Anthony Davis and bang with him for seven games. You try to throw Whiteside at him again, again, good, good luck with either one of them trying to keep up with an Anthony Davis. So I just think that Portland will be a more difficult 8-1 matchup than what the Lakers would have liked to see when you when you play all the way through the season and you secure the number one seed. You want to make your road to the finals as easy as possible, and I think the Clippers actually have an easier road to the the final to the conference final and meet up with the Lakers than the Lakers do. 
having to start with Portland here and go, you know, against a player like Lilliard who can legitimately go for 50 points uh, any night of the week. So with no Bradley for the Lakers and no Rondo for the Lakers, it's going to be a lot of Alex Caruso trying to help out on Lilliard, and I think he will do what's nice about Alex Caruso, and and I'm not saying he's going to be able to stop Damian Lilliard one-on-one. He's a very good team defender. So what he will do is he will help sort of funnel things towards AD. I know you don't really want that with Lilliard, but you have to kind of pick your poison with him. He's so good, so deep behind the three-point line that if you don't start pressuring in there and sort of forcing him into the paint, then you're you're going to give up a 40% shooter behind the arc easily. So, you you know, you got to pick your poison. With CJ McCollum being banged up and having the back injury and trying to play through that, with Nurkic not having played in a while and coming back and having to play in these big games all the way through, I think it's going to wear on him a little bit. And I this team isn't very deep either this Blazers team. I think they can I think they'll end up winning a game or two in this series. Like I said, it'll be it's not going to be for the Lakers Really, I don't think even the Clippers as easy as it will be for either of the top two seeds in the East getting through their first round matchups. That's you know always been the the discussion about the West this year and over the last few years that you don't really have a- any cakewalks. And in particular this year, when you look at the eighth seeded Blazers, because this eighth seeded Blazers team is not an eighth seed. That's why some people are picking them to to beat the Lakers because they would have more likely been a you know, probably a six or seven, five, six, seven seed if they are healthy all the way through. Probably still wouldn't have been a top two or three, but maybe in that four through seven range. And 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 they're you know they're good enough to win a game or two. They have the three, the number three offensive rating, but they have the twenty seventh defensive rating in the league. And we saw Karis Levert getting to the rim at will, getting whatever he wanted against them. I have a tough time seeing them stop LeBron. And I think a lot of people are getting too caught up in a Lakers team that didn't look very good in the bubble. Very similar to what happened with Milwaukee. They didn't have anything to play for. They had these great years all the way through. And now they were to the point where there's eight games left. They just want to stay healthy and continue to hold on to this number one seed, which they had locked up. And work out some new rotations, right? No Avery Bradley, who had been a starter and a big part of your team. Rondo was a big part off the bench. Now you are incorporating more Alex Caruso, Dion Waiters. I could see Dion Waiters having a big role in this series off the bench for the Lakers and do some of the things that Karius Levert was doing on a smaller scale, just attacking, getting to the rim, instant offense. I don't know if the Blazers are going to be able to to stop that. And if you have someone like Waiters, what's nice is he is more offensive minded than a Caruso or someone else so he'll at least force someone like Lilliard to have to move his feet to stay in front of him or someone like McCollum to have to do that you want to make their guards have to work a little bit on the defensive end too so this will be a fun series you know the Lakers are the number 11 offensive rating the number 3 defensive rating and they've seen Kyle Kuzma really improve he's healthy. He seemed like over this time period he has gotten 
just more confident about his role and what the Lakers need from him in order for them to be successful. This should be as a fan. Of course, I didn't want to see Lillard in the first round. I never want to have to to have the most difficult road through because how about for the Lakers, if they win this series, they left if they want to win the final, win this this title this year, they're gonna to have to go through the Blazers, a better than eight seeded team against a hot Lillard. They'll have to beat either OKC or Houston, and then they'll have to beat the Clippers most likely, and then you know whoever comes in from the East. Whereas the Clippers, I think the Clippers. It seems like the teams that the Clippers are playing would have been better matchups, I think, for the Lakers if they were to flip-flop spots. The the Utah-Denver series, that doesn't scare me at all. Whoever comes out of that, I think the Clippers or the Lakers would handle very easily. Versus Houston or OKC, they'll make you work a little bit. And because of the ties between the Clippers and, and some of the players from Houston, some of the players from OKC... I felt like there would have been a fun additional, you know, um, uh, you know, additional storylines there, and maybe some um, some feelings back and forth. But we we probably won't see those, or we won't see those unless it, it were to be in the uh, the conference finals and the Lakers are knocked out. So I'm gonna say Lakers in in I'm gonna say five, could be six. I genuinely just don't. See how the Blazers stop the Lakers I just think there's a little bit too much With AD, with LeBron The the Lakers have the size To match up well with the Blazers They don't have the, the guards To match up all that well With them, but again it's You know The size of of The Lakers with AD With LeBron, I think is just a little too much for For Portland They don't have anyone to really throw At them Game one on Tuesday. So the Clippers, the two seven series, Clippers Mavericks here. Usually in the NBA, there's some growing pains, right? A team has to go through the growing pains once. They usually get to the playoffs. They they have to you know find themselves, and then the second and third years they're able to improve. I think that's probably going to be the case for Dallas, who has the best offensive rating in the league, number eighteen defensive rating. Clippers were the number two offensive rating and the number five defensive rating. Now, the reason why I think Dallas will steal a game or two is because the Clippers have had a lot of issues in this bubble themselves. They've had injuries to Shamit, Pat Beverly. They've had Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell in and out of the bubble, and Montrez just coming back um, and just should be able to play now after his quarantine. So, they haven't been... A smooth operating machine Through all of this I think they're going to have some bumps in the first round But they'll probably be Really starting to round into form Come you know Games 5 or 6 of this series If they go 6 and then Into their second round matchup with will probably be Denver This Clippers team is good There's no there's no Beating around the bush They're good, they're deep It's just are they ready and and did they get enough time to get these pieces back together? You know, you sometimes having a bunch of really, you know, good players on your roster all the way down is great, but if they don't fit and they haven't had the time to work together and have the right chemistry, it doesn't all it's not always just magic. They have a lot of options though. I think one of the places where 
they they may struggle in this game in this series is uh, trying to guard Porzingis, who he's looked like one of the better versions of Porzingis that I can ever remember. He feels healthy. The way that he played in this bubble, he was excellent, and he could help them win a game or two. So I feel this sort of the same way as I feel about the the Lakers Blazers series. I don't think it's a scare for the Clippers, but I think they're they they have a, a couple small issues to to iron out in Dallas on the backs of Doncic and Porzingis. I think we'll play well enough to win a game or two. So I'll say the same type of thing. Clippers in five or six. Let's say uh, let's say Clippers in five. Then we move on to the the Nuggets Jazz series, and what what hurt this series quite a bit is. Um, Mike Connolly unfortunately won't be playing For the first couple games He's gone He went to go to the birth of uh, his child So congratulations to him Just unfortunate that it came at this timing Where he's going to have to miss a couple games In this playoff series when he comes back And with Connolly gone No Bogdanovich Utah just does not have enough Gobert will do his best to try to slow down Jokic And I think he'll make him, he'll make him work a little bit But even Denver missing Barton and Harris and having some questions themselves, they've had a, a real bubble star in Michael Porter Jr. stepping in and averaging 22 points a game on 51% shooting and over 42% from behind the three. So, it when Denver gets, if they get Barton and Harris back and they're healthy, and then you, you throw in Michael Porter Jr. there, this could he could be the X factor on this team that brings them to another level that they haven't been the last few years when it's just been a Jokic and Jokic and a Murray. If they have a Porter Jr. and he's out there, he could be that wild card that legitimately makes them into a title contender. We have to see it out there over a period of time with their whole team. Or with as much of their whole team together Because missing Barton and Harris would really hurt They would need the depth Still to get through a Lakers or a Clippers squad I do think they'll be able to get through this Jazz squad Pretty easily I'm going to say that the Nuggets here in 6 Get through this one The Nuggets with their defensive rating of 16 Their offensive rating is 5 Jazz with their defensive rating of 13 Their offensive rating was 9 These games uh, in this series start on Monday And then in the final series The 4-5 in the West It is Thunder, it is OK, uh, OKC Thunder It is Houston Houston with the offensive rating of 6 OKC with offensive rating of 17 They're not quite as good um, Offensively, but solid defensively uh, Top 10 with a, a 7 defensive rating The big story with this Series is When is West- Russell Westbrook Going to come back? How many games is he going to miss? And, and genuinely, I th- generally, I, th- I think that's what this series is going to come down to. Without Westbrook, Houston might not have enough. This Oklahoma City team has played really, really well this year. And there's so many fun back-and-forth storylines, right? You've got Harden, who went from Oklahoma City to, to Houston. You've got Chris Paul, who's back in, who, in, who's in Oklahoma City now after going from Houston there. You... You've got you know Westbrook, who we'll see when he comes in. He's obviously also come from OKC, so you've got these major figures in this series who have gone back and forth. There's a lot of I don't know about bad blood, but a lot of history. 
And OKC matches up pretty well with Houston because OKC doesn't really play that big themselves. They play Adams, but they can stretch you out and go small. You know, with Gallinari, and then they can throw the three guards in there with, uh, you know, with with CP3, with Schroeder, and with Shea. Thunder's lineup of Chris Paul, Schroeder, Shea, Gallinari, and Steven Adams net rating of twenty uh, net rating of twenty nine point nine among lineups that have played at least a hundred minutes. That was the best in the NBA. So. OKC is overachieved all year long And I think they're going to win the series I really do I'm going to pick them in 7 I think it's going to be a back and forth series I think it's going to be really tough But I'm picking OKC in 7 To get through and to move on To play the Lakers in round 2 The NBA playoffs start on Monday And what's unique too And it's a little bit different about this year Is we're just going to be going For these first round matchups it's going to be every other day back and forth And there are going to be four games a day Monday 10.30 a.m. or 1.30 a.m. Eastern 10.30 Pacific time First game Utah-Denver Then we got Brooklyn-Toronto Second game Philly-Boston Third game Dallas-Clippers The final game on Monday Then on Tuesday It's Orlando-Milwaukee Miami-Indiana OKC-Houston Portland-Lakers Couple overall big picture things No home court advantage So it, will that benefit The underdogs Or because they, they Don't have to worry about going on the road Or will it benefit the better teams Because the underdogs aren't going To have that natural point in the Series after the first couple games where they get To go home and feel like the momentum shifts If a team is down 2-0 Will they be able to make the necessary Changes and tweaks with when they don't go home and get that that warm and fuzzy feeling, this is going to be a whole different ball game. It really is a crazy 2020. We are set for the NBA playoffs. So when it comes down to it, I do think uh, just kind of an overall like wait look at, look at the bracket. I think Toronto is going to come out of the East. I think Toronto is going to be able to beat Boston if they beat if they have to beat Boston or Philly in the in the next round. I'm going to pick Philly, and then I think it'll be Milwaukee and Miami. I think Milwaukee can beat Miami, and I think Toronto will win the East. I think they're going to come out of the East, and I think it's going to be Toronto Lakers. I think the Lakers have a difficult road, but the size of the Lakers in a seven-game series over the Clippers is, I think, what could get the Lakers by the Clippers there. So I think it'll be Lakers-Clippers in the conference finals, and I'm going to pick the Lakers there. So I'm going Lakers-Raptors. NBA 2020 playoffs, folks. I am pumped. Starts on Monday. Oh, those of you who like candles, don't forget about Sarah Candle Company. C-E-R-A Candles.com is the website. Their goal was to create that candle that's 100% natural and clean burning and of the highest quality. We had Tyler Herringer on the show last week, talked all about the process, the all-natural soy wax, none of those toxins found in paraffin wax, which is in a lot of the other leading brands, and the 100% lead-free cotton wicks, natural scents, over 25 different scents, three different sizes, instructions and details, how to keep your candle clean and ensure the perfect burn, 
And with the promo code GINO, it gets you 10% off your purchase. So help out a small business. If you're just someone who likes candles, next time you, you go to purchase a couple, check out Sarah Candle Company at sarahcandles.com. Promo code GINO gets you 10% off your purchase. Hard Knocks, episode one. In this this episode of Hard Knocks, and this year Hard Knocks is going to be a little different than than some of the the Hard Knocks that we've seen before. So it's HBO. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Hard Knocks, it's the the behind the scenes of uh, an NFL team preparing for each season. And so this year, obviously, it is much much different because it's a lot about all of the new protocols. It's a, a, a you know all, all about the different world of 2020. We begin with Anthony, and it's about the Chargers and the Rams in in Los Angeles. And it starts out with Anthony Lynn. He's on a Zoom meeting with all the Charger players and talking about the new protocols. And he mentions that he had the virus. And I thought he came off great. There was a lot more Chargers than Ram stuff in this first episode. And Anthony Lynn. When you see him for just a few minutes, you can understand why he was hired as a head coach and why he would get a job anywhere. He's just a very knowledgeable he knowledgeable guy, but he's a very down to earth guy. He just sounds I, I, I instantly liked the, I instantly liked him. He just seemed like someone I wanted to sit down and talk with, and we we see all the setup for training camp with all the social distancing and the mask and they're not able to use their hands uh, in certain things. We meet Anthony Lynn's wife and he's out there barbecuing, he's talking about how they met. It's really funny. He's telling the story about how he was in Cleveland and it was supposed to be the worst place for single men and and that's where he met his wife and I just uh, I love how he came off. I thought he came off really really good in this episode and I'm going to I'm going to go play for him. He, uh, really someone that I uh, I you know when Coaches, you hear the coach speak a lot, and you hear them say cliche things. But some some of the times you never really get to hear an interview, or if it's a team you you root for, maybe you know the coach a little better than some of the others. And this is some of the most I've ever seen of Anthony Lynn and, and heard from him. And I really liked what I saw. And then my guy Sean McVay, I love Shawnee McVay too. He's great. He's an absolute machine in the Rams. He's setting things up for the Rams, and then. We see him back with his fiance. He's happy to have had time, like I think a lot of families have um, had more time together. But he's ready to get back to work. He's teaching the dog how to play basketball in the pool. And we see the Chargers all going through their COVID testing. You know, we're bouncing back and forth between the Chargers and the Rams throughout the episode. So the car, the Chargers, they have their temperature checks and the nasal swabs, and lots of guys are nervous or sort of scared about all the the swabs and the testing. And the Rams on their side, they're dealing with the same stuff. Their testing, all their setup, where they're going to have their meetings. The Chargers, you know, they have their classrooms all spread out. When the, one of the coaches is talking to each group of, uh, you know, the, the linemen or whatever group of position players he's talking to, they are really spread out. Nobody's sitting in the first few rows. They have to really emphasize over and over how much play the players have to wear masks on the practice field and how important all this stuff is. Sean McVay actually, he likes the face shield. So he, he puts the face shield on because people can see him and he feels a little bit more of like he can they can see him smile and he likes that because he can see them smile or cry or react. And remember for the Chargers now the franchise quarterback Justin Herbert number six pick he's taking some snaps in the walkthroughs 
everything's very slow in, the, in these first, you know, in these rollouts for the first week of, of spring training. No pads till week three of training camp, or not spring training, of training camp. No, no preseason games. But uh, Joey Bosa, the big deal, 130 million five year deal he signed. We see him sign the contract, the highest paid defensive player in the game. He gets emotional. Talking about his family and the sacrifices uh, And the boys razz him about the money And what's he going to buy Is it going to be a boat Where's he going to spend the, the cash there One thing that Bosa is having trouble figuring out Is same thing that Anthony Lynn's having a tough time They don't know everybody All that well And now you've got a mask on out there And these are new people that you're meeting for the first time And you don't know who the hell's who And Lynn joked He walked up to one of the coaches who had a mask on Glasses on and a hat on He's like I don't know who this is so we we then see the Rams going through one of their walkthroughs. They're going through the motions, running some plays, and we see Aaron Donald, who is just so so jacked up. Quarterback Dante Dion has a fun personality. He's trying to become a big part of this Rams team. We see him hanging around with the cornerbacks with Jalen Ramsey, who's trying to get a new contract extension. And the media keeps asking Ramsey all about it, and he does not want to talk about it. He gets pissed when they're discussing it. He you know, mentions a few times My agent and the team's going to deal with it And they keep asking So he just walks off And they convince him to come back And then he comes back to the, the Zoom meeting But he really lets him know He's done talking about this One thing Anthony Lynn didn't mind talking about Is that he doesn't know what this year is going to be like Especially from a quarterback standpoint We see the number 6 pick Herbert he signs his deal And Coach Lynn is not going to make any promises About who's playing when He just knows this is a different year And so even if he planned to sit him out the whole year He may have to play He looks so good in practice Herbert, the way he throws the ball The way he drops it back The players are oohing and aahing Because that's what he is He's the practice kind of prototypical What a quarterback looks like The problems with him have been in the game When it speeds up in his decision making so Coach Lynn talks about his experiences uh, with COVID to a coach. He contracted uh, the disease, and he was watching golf, and a golfer was talking about what he felt like, and Anthony Lynn sort of felt the same, and so he went and got tested and found out that he was positive. And, I mean, I really, again, I've said it four or five times, I really love uh, what I saw from Anthony Lynn. He talked about how he wanted the players He's talking to them on a Zoom call And he lets them know he wants them to be themselves And protest however they want So the players are sort of discussing What they can do as a team to feel comfortable Making their statement Some positive news uh, As of week 2 of camp No positive test for the Chargers For COVID And only one positive test for the Rams So and That rookie Terrell Lewis Has to quarantine Rookie linebacker on a 10 day quarantine and then some of the uh, the sadder parts of these episodes and these shows are when we see them having to make the cuts. And Chargers coach Anthony Lynn is making cuts on the phone, having to, to discuss it as a couple meetings as uh, they make their final cuts. And we just sort of see little clips of everyone in their Zoom meetings over the last couple months, eating their hot dogs, working out uh, in their cars with their pets. Um, they've. Had to You know become zoom experts And experts on these uh, These Apps and, and meetings And McVeigh It was really funny when the episode's over So we're watching the credits He says uh, 
oh, hey, don't be that guy that takes a shit in the porta potties. And the guys are all laughing about it. And they were talking about how somebody, it had to be somebody from the Hard Knocks uh, crew who was doing that. So the first episode of Hard Knocks, all about the different world of 2020 and, and what it will be like for these NFL players trying to navigate through what is already difficult in NFL season, your workouts, everything you have to go through. And now you add these these new protocols on top of all of it. Crazy. Tuesday nights, 10 Eastern on HBO. Okay, time to get to Canterbury. Let's talk some Monday racing. We're going to go uh, over to Canterbury with Dave Handelin. We're going to talk Canterbury late pick five sequence for Monday. Kick back and enjoy. So we're recording a little early this week on That's What G Said, mainly because um, the NBA playoffs are starting on Monday, and it's going to be a different NBA playoffs uh, than ever. We're going to have four games a day. We're going to be playing every other day through this first round. So I figured, why not talk a little early week racing? And to join me so we could talk about a couple of the Canterbury cards is Dave Handlin over from Canterbury uh, over in Minnesota. Dave, how you doing, buddy? I am doing great. How are you doing, Gino? Oh, doing, doing good. But I, I, I spoke with you off the air a few days ago. I don't think I'm doing as great as you. I don't think most people are doing as great as you are doing the last week or so because you had a very nice score last week. Why don't you tell some of the folks uh, out there about what, uh, what you hit? So Thursday night at Canterbury Park, I went there, I went there to make a couple plays and play the late <laughs> pick five. And as I was getting ready to exit, it was like race four going on. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I've already got my opinion on my pick five. Let's just take a swing here and see what happens. People on jackpot bets, people have a bunch of different thoughts. Well, the the carryover was about 9,000 bucks and I was kind of watching where we were at. And there's about 5,000 being bet into the pick six pool. So Pretty good value there. Like, it doesn't take much to happen. Mm-hmm. So I throw in a cute little $51 ticket. No solos. I get two by four by two by two by, like, four by two. It was it was very minimal. And catch a two to one to start, then another two to one, then a four to five, and then another two to one, and then a five to one. And I'm, I'm expecting at this point, Gino, going into the last leg, <clears throat> like, all right, well... My cute little ticket probably will get 300 bucks on the favorite in this in a six horse race. The three to one or the third favorite, this thing maybe I'll pay me 700. I'm sitting at home with my wife, and all of a sudden I see the will pays pop up. And you're, oh no, and yeah. I get on the scream of like, what the huh? Because I, I just assumed I punched my ticket in wrong, Gino, because. I was alive to two horses and one of which was the favorite paying like 950 bucks. But the other horse was this four horse that was paying the jackpot and four other horses in the race were paying five sets. So I'm the first few thoughts were like, I screwed up my ticket because there's no <laughs> way I'm the person hitting this potentially. It's not, it wasn't so hard, but it was weird. Cause that's how these jackpots are. And these things are, it's like, you just kind of get one five to one tricky horse that somebody didn't use on a ticket. And, and that's it. And it wasn't big enough to people probably playing big tickets. So it was a, sh- it was just a really sharp thing that you did to come in and swoop it. It's just completely, completely caught off guard. Like that, th- it wasn't even a crossing my mind that I was going to have something that takes down the pool. So then 
I'm seeing that like, wow, this is an option. So then my other thought, Gino, that ran through my head was I watched earlier races, but did I watch them all the way through? Did I have a horse get DQ'd? And all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, some, like, yeah, only like, one got back. put up. So <laughs> I'm going through the other races trying to see, all right, something something happened here that I'm not catching. And no, I, I'm alive. So we're watching the race. And yeah, it was my my horse, the, my pool cleaner, looked like she was done at the top of the stretch and then kind of fought back. The rail opened up. She took the rail, looked like I was going to win. And then all of a sudden the favorite started coming down at the end and luckily won by a head. And I knew there was, there was no commotion or anything. And I'm, we're jumping and screaming like, Oh, like like, my previous big win on this, like this doubles up anything I had. Like, that's so cool. My bachelor party, four of us hit a, the pick six at Gulfstream for like 28,000. So that made a fun Vegas oh, bachelor party but and a this great was, story this was me on the own yeah oh man and the way it happened too like it wasn't a big pool it wasn't something you were mapping out it was just sort of a last minute thing too before you left because you're playing the pick five and you know you know you put 50 bucks into it it wasn't a, a massive investment you you sent me a picture of this ticket I saw it I mean it was that is awesome I was so happy to hear for uh, for someone who you know those are I like it when as a, as a horse player someone like this these are the fun stories to hear about people getting rewarded in the jackpots and, and things like that. The people that play the races every day, people that know the tracks, that it's a small ticket. It's not some big, big ticket. Like we've heard about $65,000 tickets buying pools recently and things like that. This Which was, those th- are good bets, right? Do you know, th- this was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When there's a $300,000 right. max pool and it's like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is the way horse racing is a lot. It's supposed to be when you, when you have fun, you're, you're putting something in for 50 bucks. And even if you're not, like you said, you were expecting right, right where you were have gotten for the favorite around 900 bucks, you know, maybe something in that range, like, Mm-hmm. Between five hundred and a thousand, you'd have been happy with that, and then you see that big pool one flash up there, and it gets your heart pumping, and that's a fun fifteen twenty minutes leading up to the race, and uh, awesome, man! I'm, I'm really really happy for you, and we're so, gonna see if we can keep that mojo rolling. So, did you, did you have a good weekend uh, with the family afterwards? Yeah, good weekend with the family afterwards, and, and so part of that, which we're gonna get into eventually here, so like I hit the pick four, pick five, and pick six. So the pick five was the same junkie sequence mm-hmm. and somehow that still paid like 1360 and it was like i i have no idea like i had a friend there at the track who hit it on like a 27 ticket like we have no idea where where this money was spent on these tickets that died i assume it was the the second to last leg with mr jaegermeister and mr banjo man and that had to be where tickets died because mm-hmm. man there were it, it paid way too much for what was involved like there I have a friend who says the racing gods owe me nothing. So I can't complain about anything here for, <laughs> for the time. For a while. Being. Yeah. You, because... A little bit, no bad beats or no noses for a while. Cause you got a You got a nice one here, but again, you, you're the type of person, which is good. That deserves to get a nice one. Cause you're playing it every day. You're taking your shots every day. You're, you're putting your opinion out there. You're spending your money and uh, you're supporting your, you know, your local track at Canterbury and others. So that was just a cool story. I'm glad. And, uh, yeah, now it's nice. It gives you a little feeling of confidence for a little while while you're handicapping the races and while you're building your tickets. And uh, and we'll we'll take a couple swings here this week for Monday and Tuesday. 
But before we get into the handicapping, I know you're a big basketball guy and do a lot of stuff up there with the T Wolves. Explain before before you give me your opinion too. Explain everybody else one more time that that may not have heard last time what some of the stuff you've done uh, with the T Wolves and 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 what your job is up there. And then give me a quick thought or two on the on the playoffs that start Monday. Who who do you think is going to make a, a big run? Is there a team or, that you think might go a little farther, or maybe one of these these heavy favorites? And you know, the Bucks, Lakers, Clippers are kind of the the top three on a tier above anyone else. Can they get beat? Just give us like a, a minute or two overall thoughts on the NBA playoffs coming up. Yeah. Uh, so first question first. So I work for the I also work for the Timberwolves, and I do stati- statistics for the radio broadcasts. So I sit with the radio announcer Alan Horton, and I'm doing. I'm writing everything down by hand, just who scores the basket at what point, uh, trying to catch any other trends. So when you hear the announcer on the on the broadcast say uh, it's a 12-2 run over the last 238. That's you. <laughs> the Timberwolves have hit, in the Timberwolves case, they've missed eight straight shots. So <laughs> different, different things like that. Uh, Kevin Durant's got 14 points, seven rebounds on six of seven shooting here in the third quarter. So... Like the announcer has the regular box score in front of them, so I'm I'm kind of doing everything by hand and passing and pass post-it notes, or and then we're catching up during commercial breaks and talking. So yeah, I've done that for 15 years, love it. Um, always with the home radio, and I've done some other stuff with like Big Ten Network of doing football and uh, football and basketball for that. So yeah, that's kind of what I did. So I awesome. I do I I love the NBA. It's fun. This is bubble. The bubble is. It's worked out phenomenal. It has as best as they could imagine, right? Yeah, it it really as best as they could imagine with the and and the way it worked out, where there were so many teams battling for that last spot still to the very end. There were like all these unofficial play-in games before the play-in game. And and you got to do you agree with me on this? This has got to be something that Adam Silver sees hundred percent. Like he he's he's as he knows what the public thinks and he he responds to them and gets involved. So he sees, look at the excitement that this has created when you, when you had all these teams in the West was more, more so where it happened, but you see all those teams jockeying around and like, all right, this is something we can build on and take into future seasons because this is, this is great to watch. Between this and the way that the all-star game was received with the new format, it just Mm -hmm. shows you that when there's this, there's this, uh, you know, winner go home mentality and how much more it feels like is on the line. It's like a March Madness kind of thing. You know, when you feel like there's, and you can't do it over and over. You don't want to have a, your playoffs go one game and done. But as far as what they've done here to get in, yeah, you said this has to be something they bottle, they look at for next year and for future years because it was, it was great. It worked out well. We got to see some of these bubble stars show up, players who came out and and over a, a couple weeks just um, may have raised their stock quite a bit and. And then, you know, some of the teams that may not have, like the Lakers didn't play very well, the Bucks didn't play very well, but they were kind of in weird situations because they didn't really have to. They were just yep. kind of going through the motions. You you kind of just want to get stay healthy and not get anybody hurt. So a team like Toronto looked really, really good. Maybe they come into the playoffs firing well. They got down to Orlando a little bit earlier than everyone because of being in Toronto. They had to get down there earlier in quarantine. So, um, yeah, where do you kind of stand? Who Give me a, a team or two on each side who you like or who you think is going to play well. So it's it's not much of a surprise, but I, I'm leaning towards the Clippers in this scenario. Just the whole Kawhi, Paul George, uh, and just the the pieces that they have. Yeah, I, the, the Lakers, Lakers are gonna are the one, but it's just it seems like, yeah, LeBron and AD, and 
how's LeBron going to treat clutch time situations? And is he taking the shot or is it AD going to get the shot? But it, it seems like the have, losing like the Avery Bradleys of the world might hurt the Lakers a little bit. I just, they weren't as deep to begin with. Issue. Yeah, yeah, they weren't as deep to begin with the Lakers. So uh, someone like Bradley might hurt. I don't know if Rondo will hurt as much, but Bradley could hurt just from a defensive perspective. He was shooting the three pretty well too. And I, I'm I'm kind of with you. Like in the West, I wanted to make a case for someone other than the top two. I just I actually think the Clippers' road to the the finals is is maybe even a little easier than the Lakers. Um, I. I I think they're just be- they're a little bit better than Dallas, and it feels like Dallas probably needs a year to go through some growing pains. It generally happens in the NBA, and then whoever the Clippers would have to play in the second round, the um, either the the Jazz or Denver, I think that would be a really great matchup, and and, and a, I, that to me is probably easier than their first round matchup, but just the way mm-hmm. things match up for them too. So yeah, I don't think they have the most difficult road in the world to get there. They're I, I do see it. I mean, as a as a Laker fan too, I would love that Lakers Clippers matchup because I've been he- I was hearing it before the year the year started, and all of a sudden these Clipper fans came out of nowhere. You know, <laughs> I was like, where did you come from? You know, I didn't know there were all these Clipper fans that existed. So I've I've been uh, having some fun going back and forth. That would be really cool for LA if uh, and just just in general with with the star power uh, out there um, with you know LeBron and and AD and then Kawhi and PG. So. Yeah, I I don't think I could get too cute out on the uh in the the West. What about the uh, the East over there? Did Giannis he, he struggled a little bit last year in the playoffs. He still got to be able to hit the three and hit the free throws. I think when the game is on the line, but they, I mean, it, you look at who they're going to face. I mean, they're going to get a very nice cakewalk through the first round against an Orlando team that shouldn't put up much of a fight against them. And they do get they do get pretty well set up. Miami or Indiana. I think their biggest challenges are probably Boston and, and Toronto, and they won't have to get through two of them. It looks like. No, I they, they won't have to. Milwaukee should get to the finals, the mm-hmm. Conference Finals. Yeah, I the team that I that I think out there is going to be Boston. They, it, it seems like with with Tatum, Tatum and Brown are just a a menace as on the wings. We'll see how the Kemba. I know his back's not a hundred percent, but. It seems like Boston has enough pieces, especially with with the interchangeable wings, that they can they can cause some havoc. Toronto Toronto's been phenomenal. Toronto like mm-hmm. I they haven't they've surpassed everybody's expectations after losing Kawhi and oh they're gonna fall off. Like no, the, the machine just kept rolling. Nick Nurse is a hell of an NBA coach for turning that roster into a, a team that wins seventy four percent of their games. So, but I just feel I feel Boston. I I, I think Tatum. And Brown are just it's it's gonna happen with them. And I think here's the chance of they can if they can get past the first round, the Sixers with losing Ben Simmons, I I just don't know if that team is good enough otherwise to overcome the Ben Simmons injury. So I see Boston getting through there and then versus Toronto, I, I think they'll I, I think they're set up to do that. And then yeah, once you get once you get to Giannis and see how that goes. I, for for as a fellow small market person, I want to see Milwaukee and Giannis make it there. I just it feels like Boston maybe has I don't know. I think Brad Stevens is an excellent X's and O's coach, and it feels like he he can tweak him good enough without this year. Now he's been with the free of Kyrie, and that they'll be all right for that. 
they're sort of like flying under the radar a little bit too because they Toronto are. played Toronto played so well that they're they're becoming you know a really hot team. A lot of people are picking them because of how well they've gelled. And you don't you just don't hear a whole lot about Boston. And it, it's funny because man, if 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 any team out there may have really benefited from the time off, it was them because. They wouldn't have had any version of Kemba, and at least they're going to have some version of Kemba here. And it feels like Hayward is finally healthy. He's been a lot more aggressive. He's been driving and trying to get to the rim and, and getting to the free throw line. So, you know, he's another guy you, you, you sort of forget about on that team because he's had so many ups and downs and injuries. So now you throw him and Tatum and Brown out there all playing well, those wings, and you have someone like a Marcus Smart who can really help set the tone for you in a playoff series and play some good defense and and make things difficult on on someone like a like Milton who's going to be probably having him to handle the ball a whole lot now without Simmons. Yeah, I agree with you and I think the Boston series I'm so intrigued in. I just like the I love the the matchups. I think they're going to be good whether or not they're able to handle Philly easily. It should be interesting because Boston is so good, like we said, interchangeable wings, but perhaps one of their weaknesses is do they have a ton of big bodies? Do they have the type of big bodies that they would need to throw at Embiid if he's playing really well? I just, I love Embiid. I just don't know if I could trust him for seven straight games to be the guy to carry this team, to not get banged up, to have to do it every other day. Yes. Like, look at him compared to the playoff situation last year when they've got. Jimmy Butler and Simmons and Embiid and all right, only one of them can kind of be fed at once. Where now, all right, all right, Joel, it's mm-hmm. it's your squad. Roll out the ball, time to play. Put up or shut up time, kind of for for a guy who up. likes to talk. And and hey, you know what? He can absolutely do this and dominate and win a series. I'm I'm I just don't. We have with to see it. We have to see him do it for over and over. So yeah, lots lots of intrigue in the NBA this last few weeks. I think really kind of a was a, a nice appetizer, a nice teaser for man. We're, what's cool too is the way it's set up. Starting on Monday, you and I are recording this Sunday night, and um, starting Monday morning, it's going to be four games a day, boom, all day long, and then. Every other day for this first round of the series I think that's really how they're going to be going At least for the first couple rounds Every other day, not a lot of in-between So, um, yeah, we'll get through this quick And we'll uh, we'll have some fun watching sports So, you know, we, we talked some NBA We talked about your big score Let's get, a, let's get a couple big scores for the people This week over at Canterbury Let's get our past performances out For Monday and that pick five The 10% low takeout pick five Like Dave just said, even one that doesn't that you look back and you don't think it's going to pay that well and ends up paying like 1300 bucks it just that's what happens with these low takeout pick fives you beat a favorite or two you just get one big price throughout the sequence and boom you knock some people out and you're right there so we have some uh, some babies to kick things off we got maidens uh phillies 2 year olds minnesota breds they're going to go five furlongs in here i thought this was a pretty what i thought was difficult about this race is that the horses who have the better pedigrees or for barns that aren't as good first time out And then you have a couple barns that are good first time out But their horse, their pedigrees And the horses maybe not look as good on paper So you kind of have a hodgepodge Is it going to be the barns that normally get their horses ready Or is it going to be these horses that might be a little better But they're generally not ready till their second or third start You absolutely nailed that word <laughs> Like on paper and even maybe a month down the line and for the rest i think that number the eight horse that hell of a north yep mm-hmm. i think like so sky and c for those who don't know um mom was 16 6 of 18 overall 
won two hundred and like thirty thousand, and but started off her career as a two year old, just went one one for one, but then came back as a when she was three and dominated Canterbury, won three stakes races, and was like four or six as a three year old, and so the Rakes owned Skyed Sea, and now they bred in and owned Helvin North, and I but yeah, just the the O of eighteen trainer. Rowan as with first timers and I, I don't know the, the month gap in the first work between first and second published mm-hmm. work. Like it just, it's a little bit scary for me on that one of like, yep. all right, maybe probably if I was going to own one of these, I'd want to own the eight, but if mm-hmm. I'm trying to hit the pick five on Monday, I don't necessarily know if I want to own the eight. Completely agree. Um, and I, a lot of it to me will depend on price. Like if this horse gets, gets hit a little bit, I don't know. Like you said, the barn, was, has not been winning with firsters They're 0 for their last 18 Which you see in the past performances They're 0 for 6 this year And they're only 5 for 60 A capable barn, really good But this is just, you know, we see different uh, horsemen and horsewomen Treat their horses differently Some of them work them, you know, a bunch to get them ready first out Others let the, the races kind of get into them And that's their seasoning And so, yeah, I'm with you that The 8 might be good down the line Like the... The three even has a decent little pedigree. The dam was a five-time winner, earned 140000 won uh, her first couple starts, was a multiple stakes winner on the dirt, super solid sprinter, um, four siblings, all multiple winners. But Silva, with the two and the three, is 0 for the last 26 and only six for the last 80 with first-time starters. I, I don't – so the two and the three, you know, the three could be a little – could be good down the line, but – you know, you look to Mac Robertson, who's obviously much better with first-time starters. So the four is probably very live, and someone like Van Winkle, who's who's super capable. They're over five this year, but they do have a couple wins. I think they're two for their last thirty-two, something like that. So yeah, that's what it, it was fun handicapping this race in that sense, where you, you got to kind of pick. Okay, am I going to go with proven trainers, am I, or am I going to go with maybe pedigree here? Yes, and it makes this one extremely difficult. So I, like. When in doubt, when, when the questions I have on this, I look for, with, especially with two-year-olds, all right, who's making their second start? Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm leaning towards the five and the Me seven too. Yep. on top, just because of the second start. The five took money, the Samsons, uh, so Curtis Sampson, the estate of him owns it. He was one of the Canterbury owners, and he passed away two two weeks ago. Uh, so that's why it now is the estate of oh, Curtis wow, Sampson. Oh, yeah, really sad news. Um. So I'm yeah, I mean the five and the seven there, but I'm also gonna use the four, six, and the eight. Regarding your three, I just the only the two works starting the end of July. Yeah. yeah. And then that and along with it being a it was a May full. So just that, behind. He just gonna be that one's just a little bit behind. I will say watch yeah, maybe maybe the it's taking money, then potentially give that one more of an eye. But I'm looking at just the four, five, six, seven, and eight. I I wanted to leave the eight off, but I I'm, for the sake of my ticket, I'm gonna go, I am gonna go four, five, six, seven, eight, but five and the seven would be five, seven, and then my third choice is gonna be the four, and then kind of the six and eight, kind of as a I guess my C's there, but I'm, I would just go use all five of them. Yeah, we're we're like, we're super similar. Um, I'll I'll just throw I'll probably throw the three in just as one, but but the, for me the five is definitely that with the horse to be because. 
she had a, a a pretty fast start and she was right on the lead and then she was second and the four to five favorite just sort of outrun uh, was able to just kind of outrun her and that was the eventual winner Molly's Angel and, and it wasn't that bad I think she just sort of backed up late she's got the seasoning in here she actually ran well I like that she got out of the gate so I, I'm gonna make her the top selection here I do think the four is super logical you have to use the six is on the ticket with me too so I'm gonna kind of start with with four five six as as my top three. And then from there, I think I think I can I can probably get to the, getting the three and the eight on the ticket. The seven I can understand taking two. She, it's just hard to, to get a gauge off of her because she broke so poorly, and then she just never had a shot after that. But the the experience is huge in a race like this, as you mentioned. So hey, I wouldn't talk anyone off going, you know, all in this race or anything like that. But what's nice is that. With these two-year-olds, at least this is the start of the pick five. You might be able to get an idea of a couple of these horses if they're live or not with the money. You know, with the way where the money shows up. Yep, that's always a factor in there to see who knows what the the on the seven there that the Francisco Bravo and Dale Shinian and with Lori Bravo as well. Just Dale Dale's had some good horses at Canterbury Park and some champion horses and. Maybe that it, that horse took zero money in its debut, which is odd for one of his horses. So maybe maybe the sign there was this thing is was not ready to go. But I it, it would it, part of me that maybe this thing thinks you know, this one might not be that great is not using one of the other jockeys and staying with Valenzuela. And he he's been a newer guy at Canterbury, and he's also a quarter horser. So maybe maybe he's good at getting him out of the gate, and he's going to get this one out of the gate and see what happens. See if she, see if she wants good. to keep going. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Maybe just a a jock that hey, let's get this let's at least get this horse in the mix here and in the race. Um, as we move from race number five to race number six, we have seventy five hundred dollar claimers here. They're going to go seven hundred seven and a half furlongs on the turf. These are ones who have not won a race since June tenth or never won four races. The um. This is an interesting race, you know. I'd imagine, you know, horses like the two, the three will take a good amount of money. Um, the outside, you know, the nine Badgery Candy is probably going to take some money. The four Silvera, but I think you probably got to start at least from a talking point with with probably the two and the three here. Um, and, and I think the three is the most consistent. We were just talking about um, some of the connections too with the with Bravo here. Uh, so wh- where do you start in the sixth? So that's. Two and the three are going to be the ones that I use in there. I'm going to, with kind of some thoughts that I have otherwise in the sequence here, I, I needed to find a place to go shorter. And this was kind of one of the areas that I, one of the races that I said, all right, well, it would be great to go five and six deep in every race, but you just, you just can't unless you want to make a $65,000. <laughs> <ticket>, right? <Yeah. laughs> so, I, yeah, so I, just based off kind of everything else on here, I, I do think the two and the three should be should be in the mix. The the, the three is a minbred, but has been facing open company, so it's it's I that I don't even worry about that anymore with that horse. Uh, and that's where yeah, Bravo's using Rye on this horse. So all right, this that's that's his guy, and that makes the case. Uh, the the two time for kisses. Butler, Sean Davis, 33% they win at. Butler's been giving Davis good rides, dropping, taking a pretty good drop from last time out. Uh, I, I I believe that one probably fires. And if I had to choose between one of them to win, I would lead towards actually the two here. Yeah. It's it's turf pedigree is not good. Turf Tomlinson number is terrible. And 
I, I just think, all right, Dean's sticking around to ride this. Dean's riding this one again. Um, he, it's. I think this one has a chance. So yeah, I'm, I'm she, going with the. I it's. And I could have to eat my words on this, but yeah, the two and three is where I'm going on this, and I'm just hoping to get through this, hoping to get through this leg because the rest of these horses to me have huge question marks of stepping up in class and horses that have been dirt sprinters now going on the turf long and like it's it's going to be tough for a lot of these horses that all right you can the same question marks i have on the two and the three i can have five more question marks mm-hmm. about five or six of the other horses the most steady the most consistent like time for kisses like you said the the dam never turfed but this guy is actually a half sibling to a horse named uh, Spin Me a Kiss, who was a four time winner on the grass, was four for 13, was stakes place, and earned 225000 on the grass. And then what, what happened with Time for Kiss is she was making her turf debut last time out. It was her second start off the layoff. So she was in a good spot to be ready to take a step forward from a, a physical and fitness level. And the horse right next to her broke poorly and bumped into her. And she, she got crossed over on. And she was backed up and she was, you know, almost 10 lengths out of it, a little farther back than she'd ever been. And I just don't think she knew what to do. She just kind of packed it in right then. She was just way out of it, never comfortable, and, and never got into it. And now you're going to go third off the long layoff and you're going to drop in class with that nice turf pedigree. You mentioned Butler. I'm just, you're just going to get a better trip. You're going to get a much better effort from time for kisses today in here. I think two, three, you have to use on all the tickets. The only other horse I'm going to mention is one who might be a sneaky horse that I might, um, We'll see if I can play a few bucks to win on Depending on what price we get That would be the 9 For me I'm going to use 2, 3, and 9 I think she has enough tactical speed To where she can sit Okay I don't I don't like the fact that She did not look good at all In her last couple starts Because she's she's had better form on the dirt prior to that But she is just better overall on the grass And getting back to the grass I would not be shocked if she came back And showed up with an effort any one of those efforts like she had at Louisiana Or the races at Fairgrounds prior to that Those would put her right there So as long as she's around 5-1 to one or so I can make a case for using her But I can understand anyone that would Just want to be using the 2-3 And be keying in on those because those are the safest In here, the most likely winners in this leg Nope, I I'm, the, the 9 was one kind of look at For those exact same reasons Like those fairground races for 15,000, like nothing to be shy of there, especially winning one of those. Uh, the other one, I, if, if somebody's, if somebody has a different thought than you and I during this, another one that could be maybe a little bit tricky is the 10 mm-hmm. that could get out, could get on front with Chad Lindsay, Stephanie Herb, like drop slightly dropping has definitely showed speed. <laughs> Tried to blow all the horses off their feet in the last run and just couldn't hold on. So maybe finds a little bit better spot and doesn't go as fast. Yeah, and maybe and- can hold on. But yeah, you're the case that you made on the nine. And yeah, I would think maybe the ten a little bit. So if somebody has something else they love in it and they're looking for two, like the nine for sure. But if you're looking for something else, ten would be, I think, the other one. Yeah, the and and what's you know what's nice about the two and the three and the horses that and even maybe the nine you know all three of the horses is that they should be getting a tr- a good trip in here because it does look like like the ten if he, if if she breaks well and is able to sneak away from this group she could be very very tough it just looks more likely that 
with the one city gone country you'll probably get some speed there it wouldn't be shocking to see extra gorgeous kind of closer out of a sprint race last time out little be quick is going to be really quick um stretching out a little bit too and then you have distinct approval who's got some pace so i think it it'll probably set up very well for those the inside couple horses for the two and the three they're trying to save some ground maybe and uh, and make their late runs we get to the seventh race going six furlongs maidens five thousands in here so we have a couple horses that are actually cross-entered um, In a race on Monday and on Tuesday The 1 Baby Gordita and the 10 Cowgirl Court They're going to both be entered in this race And then in the Tuesday race going 5 furlongs And I and it's pretty important which of them end up running If they both do, if, the, if neither one do Because they're both speedy They both have a lot of pace So even if you don't like them on a winning the race Perspective they could definitely have a say In how the race shapes up with their speed So I think we kind of have to at least mention Those two because they could um, You know they could set this thing up and, and it could be going pretty quick if they're both in here Yeah no, yeah, that's, Have to pay attention And see what's going to go on and if those If they draw in then yeah definitely have to Be considered like that's It's one thing when, when you get races that It's not Just what it is on paper it's alright what's What's the intention or what's the mm-hmm. They're, they're, when they're choosing a race, all right. This one looks like your better chance. So, all right, they're they're choosing this one for a reason. We saw that, golly, month ago when we were talking about a horse, yep. and it was like parched or something. It was like mm-hmm. the same exact race, but it was two different nights. And like, all right, well, if it doesn't choose this one and goes for the other one, that's for rather than like the route, then they're choosing the sprint. And sure enough, the thing won the sprint. And exactly, they made the right call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I this is. Yeah, this this is a tough race. I so that ten the Calgary Calgary Court. Uh, I think with yeah the Lori formerly Lori Keith Lori Beeler. I think she's gonna go to the front and try to hang on with this one. I the nine USS Lois. I so, <laughs> that horse. Where was that? Belterra. Yeah. I think is where we're at. <laughs> so horse was three and a half to one. Twelve and a half maiden claimers ran off in the post parade. So you just toss the race, really, you know, yeah. it's like easy toss still, still went off at three and a half to one. <laughs> well, like was a non-factor ran last, but for some reason, whoever had, whoever had faith in that horse didn't completely back off it. Mm-hmm. But now for, uh, Heath Lawrence to be bringing that here. I, I don't know much about Heath Lawrence, but he, he started popping up here at Canterbury in the last, I would say week. I think, I think he, he started coming around. Like, I don't, Maybe he just didn't have, maybe he scratched his horses last weekend, but he was definitely on like the past performances last week. So, yeah, this horse was training at Keeneland and debuts at Belterra. Like the 12 to 1 is, I, because nobody knows the, nobody knows that connection to the, the Heath Lawrence. But I think potentially something there with this horse that definitely, I, I don't think 12 to 1, especially this. <laughs> Not this a bunch is, of world beaters. No, this is not out. the strongest race in the world. You don't need five angles on on one of these horses to to use them. You just need something at all. And what's nice about USS Lois is just there are just plenty of reasons for upside for this horse. You can just treat him really like a first time treater, really like a first time starter, because you said ran off in the post parade. There was a sloppy racetrack that day. You have a couple different excuses. Now you come up to Canterbury. So that I mean, I'm I'm not talking you off that one at a price, no doubt about it. Um I think that the horse who's probably the one to beat really is the six 
Angie means business When I watched her race I think it was better than what it looks on paper She was starting to loom up But she was chasing a lone speed horse Pokegama who we're going to see and, and talk about a little later um, And and she was chasing that lone speed She moved all the way up into second early in the stretch And then she tired and she faded She ended up running fourth behind Lauren, Lucas And Jake Alina I, The cut back to six furlongs Should give her a little more punch She should be a little more fit And it's going to be third off the long layoff She should be in the perfect spot I think she, if especially if Baby Gordita And Cowgirl Court are both in here Or the way this looks on paper with those two maybe um, fairly surprised showing some speed and, and there are enough that it feels like a horse from off the pace will, will probably get a good trip I thought that was you know Angie means business So again a lot of it will come down to who's in here But if she's you know if, if she's four to one I'll make a win wager most likely And she'll be uh, for sure on my pick fives The I mean what, what do you do with the, the three Jake Alina? If it beats me, it beats me. I'm I'm, I'm gonna leave I'm gonna leave Jake Lean off. Uh, with horses like this, and I'm, a lot of them are proven losers. So, all right, who's who's got some upside? I, the also the eight fairy surprise yep. for Ringsdorf. Absolutely. So, like, all right, how's the how's the turf? Like, it's it's dirt debut wasn't any wasn't any good, but it's turf races. Maybe maybe something clicks there. It's it's dirt work was really it's dirt works were really good. The June fifth work, all right, well forty six out of the gate on four furlongs. Like all right, maybe maybe the first first start just was crap, and then all right, the turf shook something loose here. Now coming back to the dirt, and I think it a big drop down. Like turf racing usually gets a a decent group of entries in there. So this is going to be, this is going to be a decent spot for this one, maybe to, to flash what it has. Totally um, agree. One other note I wanted just to share about Canterbury for what we're going to be looking through here. People are going to see maybe Chirinos has been picking it up and doing well at Canterbury. He's just, he's got, he got three days, so he's going to be out Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So if, if people see him that, Oh, I wonder where he's at or why he's okay. not on, Good on info. certain rides. He's, he got a couple days for, from an incident like a few well, last week or two with, weeks ago, I believe. Like with the six Angie means business, you know, you would assume yeah. he would have been aboard that one and, and you pick up Quinones, who's been running really well all mm-hmm. throughout the meet. The One of the other just things I wanted to point out about the seventh race before we move to race number eight is just interesting the presence of Arietta on the five, too. You know, the scores just doesn't look great on paper, but you're taking a big drop down. Like you said, this is not a group of, of world beaters here at all. So just... You know, you get a top perennial top jockey over here who who generally gives you a really good ride on your horses. If if she breaks well, this might just be a whole different ball game for her. So I thought she was a little bit intriguing just from hey, you get a you know you get a very big uh, a big jock jumping aboard there. Um, yeah, let's move. Yeah, let's move. Could, could bring that one to life. Like, mm-hmm. If anybody looks at the past performances, the 117 to one down there at Lone Star jumps out. Right, right. It's well, like it's cold on the board. It's, it's hard not board. to look. It's hard not to look past that. Was that the number. was the ninth favorite in the daily doubles pool? So <laughs> <laughs> oh, we moved to race number eight. Five furlongs on the turf course here, made in special weights, and the four blue Lizzie and the nine Let's Party Marty. Have uh, raced against each other in the last couple, and they've both been been separated by very very little. And they both run really well in, in both those 
turf sprints at Canterbury. I don't really have knocks for either one of them. I could understand, you know, everybody starting with them. I could understand if anybody was just using the two of them. I'll probably. I will include a couple others in here, but I think as far as who are the logical winners in this race, who look good on paper, those are are two that I think you have to start with. Yep, I'm. I'm actually I'm gonna fade with with how my ticket's gonna look. I I'm putting my foot in the sand and I'm gonna I'm gonna fade the four. Me I, too. I I'm. I know I, adding the blinkers gives me a little bit concerned, but I'm just you know what I I don't love the horse. And I prefer the nine. Yeah, I'm going to prefer the nine, and then I'm going to throw on some other ones that are just mm-hmm. pure wild cards here, mm-hmm. trying yeah. to catch something. Completely so agree, because not- I think that's not a great way of sh- – you, you look at those two, just what you said, and I think the better way of playing it is just how we're going you, – you pick one of them, and then maybe use that one and a couple other prices, because it's never the best if you're going to just be using the two horses – over and over and over again that you think are going to be the bet- the top betting choices and this is a good this is a good race to maybe get a little separation because I think a lot of people will look at those two and think I could probably get through this race using using four and nine so it, and you know let's party Marty had more excuses I, I think that with let's party Marty getting hooked wide take back came on again just missed a second and then we have like you said I thought the five the first time starter. Really interesting. The the seven, you know, first time on the grass has really good speed. The eight's got a little grass pedigree. There are some other horses to include. Who were some of the other ones that uh, that you looked at? So, yeah, so I've got the nine, but then I've also the ones that I'm gonna my my darts are gonna be the eight, ten, and three. Nice. Uh, the eight, just yeah, bunch of good works coming into this. The uh, second first race of the year, so we'll see. Is ready to go, but I, I do think. So Clinton Stewart's been all right here at Canterbury using Arroyo. Like, gonna, I assume he's been working this one in the morning. So that thirty-five gate workout with uh, Cal. I remember, God, I think it was on Cowboy Cal for the Derby years and years and years ago, and that didn't turn out well. But <laughs> he was a nice horse, though. Drop, yeah, yeah. <laughs> drop of chocolate. Um, the so the ten horse has shown speed on the turf. Granted, that was. In at, at Canterbury in the two turn one mile races, but it's twenty two and forty six on both of them. Like, all right, there's there's some speed there, and obviously, like he probably, and he showed some sprint speed on the dirt even back mm-hmm. in June. You know, in so a, he's in a stakes race. They mm-hmm. ended up in a in a freaking mm-hmm. stakes race. Yeah, like off of nothing really to go off, and so. Uh, the the fifteen to one is kind of surprising. I, I, I don't I don't think it'll be there. It'll probably be seven to one, eight to one. But I I think the ten I with with Ryan I I think he's gonna I think he's gonna get our, there's enough question marks and other ones. I think he's gonna get a good enough chance on here that can get to the front and see what happens. Hold on. Uh, then I gotta go. The other one was gonna be just a three. The I gotta go with my girl Kelsey Har after the pick six the other night. Yeah. Like, so speed, like gonna go dropping from six furlongs on the dirt down to five furlongs on the turf. Maybe maybe just goes out up front here mm-hmm. and has a chance. Like that, yeah, twenty-two and forty-five on the dirt. All right, let's let's see what happens. Like I, I I'm willing to take a shot on that and throw it in. Just get some with that kind of speed up other horses with that absolutely. Speed, and for similar, I'm I'm going to give a look to uh, you know the seven who has um 
Nine other winning siblings One of them on the grass Not a ton of grass pedigree But she's got some speed And just like you said Sometimes these five furlong turf races You don't need a horse that's got a ton of pedigree A lot of times the connections go to these races Just because they're shorter It's a little bit easier for them They don't have to go quite as far They know they got a really quick animal So uh, I thought this was a fun race And like I said You look on paper at first glance And you think okay it's 4-9 But I think that's the key to how you're going to approach it You can't just play this race using only 4-9 You have to take a stand somewhere Throw a couple other prices in In this 8th race So we get to the ninth. We're going to try to close things out $4,000 claimers in here We see this condition on Monday and Tuesday This is kind of a, a fun one You get Horses who have not won a race since August 17th of 2019 So last year Or which have started at Canterbury in 2020 And haven't finished third or better So you get some horses that are dropping Or that are, are you know looking to, to wake up here So you know, you're not having a bunch of horses in the best of form You have to dig a little Or you have to try to find horses that fit the connections nicely So where, where do you go uh, to close things out? These, these horses all need a friend and a hug um, <laughs> Yep <laughs> I am I am going with the I'm going with the six uh, Sassy Seta uh, just, Canterbury wasn't great But then ships down to Iowa Sophie Doyle wins And alright now coming back here Dropping down in class again uh, I don't know about the distance Gives me a little bit of concern I, Maybe there's some breathing problem Or something that this horse maybe just doesn't want Six But I I'm just leaning. There's enough. There's enough questions, and yeah, you, the conditions speak for themselves. These, these horses, mm-hmm. these horses have flaws. They're they're not perfect. Four thousand dollar claimers. They're... Yeah. So where she <laughs> might not want to go sick, she's in much better form, has better speed. You know, you like you're yep. saying, you're weighing you're weighing the options. I completely agree. She that's that's the question you ask. Is six too far? But what's nice about where she's drawn is she's drawn towards the outside of the other speeds. So even if for some reason the one Paz the Pepper wants to gun from the inside. Sassy Sita might be able to kind of sit towards the outside Which is a much easier trip than being The inside of the speeds in here I think I think she's a, a horse you gotta use In your exotics too, no doubt about it You know, I, I wasn't really too Cute in here, I think I'll probably Play a ticket where I have one, four, five And six, those will probably be the horses I use You know, mainly if Like you said, if this were five or five and a half I'd feel a lot more confident in Sassy Sita Because it's six I'm a little bit worried that maybe the one and the six do battle And then it sets it up for uh, the four or the five One of these horses that come from off the pace And and hey, you know, the four and the five like to win races They just haven't been winning a lot recently But when you're in a spot like this Against other a bunch of other horses that don't want to win recently It's a good spot for them to wake back up Yeah, the, so the, the, the five series is going to be my second choice on this And I will, I will use that I'm, I'm not going to solo sassy just because of the questions and just the other ones have enough question marks that, all right, a five, something, something, I don't know, six or seven in the money at Canterbury out of uh, seven starts, but the layoffs since February, it's, it's, you're crushing up. It's not like they were pointing yeah. this course to this race. No. Uh, maybe, maybe they saw the condition book and said, all right, let's fire away on this. This is our spot. But with the, with the news out of turf paradise uh, last week, Maybe, all right, well, we got to get this one ready to go and racing now because we have to find spots for it someplace. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like with the, the Arizona bread, like, all right, if, if there's potentially not going to be a race in Arizona, let's put the $4,000 price tag on there. Let's go out there and see what happens. Um, 
so I, that's why I'm going to use that. Just yeah, the the 12 straight losses wins the cactus flower stakes back in December 2018, and then since then hasn't been hasn't been great. But even in December was finished fourth in the same twenty five thousand dollar stakes race. So I don't think there's total flaws in the horse. And but so that's going to be the one. At, like at the distance, that horse has finished an exact a nine out of sixteen times. So all right, well. Maybe maybe that one can get there. So I'm gonna, I'm going to use that. I'm going to go five six there. Yeah, that, that that seems. I just I think we both can agree that it's just it's probably a, a difficult race based just a lot on the condition to single a horse because we're talking yeah. about horses that are you know not winning a ton over this racetrack and not running well over this racetrack. So a, a unique condition, one that I like because it gets you a field like this and it gets. Some horses an opportunity to get into the winner's circle That might not with the with a different type connect um, Condition so On you Monday know, I have one question on that please so I, need, I need you I need you to help Me with this one a little bit and So so that's An or scenario On that condition right mm-hmm. because You look at horses in there and take The seven for example uh, Right on by yep. So that horse finished second Twice at Canterbury So when like when it says third or better It was it, So I think that one is under the condition of Hasn't won a race since August 17th 2019, 2019. So, so he it gets to choose that Yep condition. it can be in either one of the With the, the, with the double conditions there you, pick, you can pick one or the okay. other that, that you qualify for So you get some horses like you know For example even like the Forest Spellwinder Finished third at Canterbury uh, just a couple starts back, so wouldn't be falling under that condition. Would be falling under the condition that she hasn't won in a year. So yeah, that's what you know opens this race up even more. You get um, horses that can qualify in multiple different ways with that or That's good too. That's something that we don't. I always like talking about little things like that to bring them up because you know a lot of people out there have questions about them just just like that. So. The Monday sequence, I mean, it, it looks good It doesn't look like a, a, a super chalky one I think it, it looks like one that could definitely play up into the, uh, you know, 1,000 or above sequence If you, you're able to beat some of the right horses in here Give us one or two horses throughout the sequence that you want to make sure everybody uh, throws in on their tickets Ooh, to throw in on the tickets? I'm going to say that, that in race 8, the 10, the chocolate um, Yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to say that would be, that would be the horse Drop a chocolate, could be a nice little separator fun. Yeah, I, I think that's the one to have some fun there. Just when the when the favorites have flaws with them, that looking to catch a price and Rye on a fifteen to one on the turf. He's one of the with Loveberry moving moving his craft to Chicago. I think Rye is one of the top, if not the top, turf jockey at Cameron. Even though with five five furlongs on the turf, I I still think Rye right there can sit it pretty and and do all right there. That the the ten would be. That, that would, that's my separator in the sequence yep. Or if I'm going to make a little better Play around with a trifecta and try to catch something I think the 10 would be the one I would I would play around with Dave, uh, give the folks out there um, The information Where can we follow you online on, uh, on social media And, and then uh, we're going to Pause and, and come back in just a minute And we're going to talk about the Tuesday Pick 5 So if you're just listening in on Monday Hey, there's, there's going to be some Tuesday Pick 5 analysis for you also yeah, um, it's at Superstats Dave. I'm on Twitter on that. I don't have a fans only account. Um, <laughs> sorry, everyone. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, so yeah, I, I'm out there on Twitter at Superstats Dave, and yeah, we'll love interacting with people. We'll so, be right yeah, back. Thanks for having me on, Gino. Good awesome. luck, everyone. 
We'll be right back with more Dave Handelin uh, Talking some Tuesday Canterbury Pick 5 Don't go anywhere folks, we're just going to hear from uh, one of our sponsors We'll be right back on That's What G Said A big thank you to Dave Uh, We're going to pick back up with him And talk some Tuesday We just wanted to let you know a little bit about OldSmokeClothing.com I know you're a horse racing fan You're listening to to the horse racing analysis for Canterbury Check this website out They have t-shirts with horse names Polo shirts, hoodies, long sleeves Zip ups, hats We don't see a whole ton of places with horse racing gear Horse racing swag So if you're someone who's a fan of Tis the Law They have a bunch of different Tis the Law shirts They have a hat up there You could check out a trucker hat Maybe you're a fan of Midnight Bee Suit Check out some of the, the Midnight Bee Suit swag they have up there um, They have all sorts of different, and I said names um, Race tracks, big slogans, catchphrases Funny things, serious things You can do custom designs there And we're offering you a, a little incentive like always Promo code G-I-N-O Get you free shipping So that promo code G-I-N-O means you don't have to pay any shipping with your purchase there at OldSmokeClothing.com. OldSmokeClothing.com. Show that horse racing fan in you. Now we'll get to our Tuesday Canterbury Pick 5 with Dave. Back for some Tuesday Canterbury Pick 5 talk with Dave Handelin And uh, you, you probably just heard us talking about the the Monday sequence Now we jump into the Tuesday sequence And again, Dave, uh, with this one we're going to start in race number 5 And we're going to start with some 2-year-olds We've got Minnesota Breads They're going to go 6 furlongs in here But this race is different than the one that we talked about yesterday In that These horses have a little more experience This isn't a a group of mainly first time starters We actually have four horses that all ran in that very same race On July the 21st They were in the 5th there So um, there's a few with experience You still have a couple first timers in here Where do you end up going to to kick off the pick 5? I'm going to I'm going to lean towards the 4 Kids Inheritance, Joe Burnt, Rye Eckleberry Took some money versus the other ones last time Just didn't not the greatest start and kind of just grinded away for a third place finish really was never, never really in the mix to win it or anything like that. But I think this one making the second start for the Laughing stables. Yeah. 80,000 purchase back Keeneland sale. I think this one is probably the one I'm going to go with number two runaway ready uh, for Mac and with the Nova grasses. I, I think this one also is going to be, these ones are going to be threats where, I think the four, the two, and the what was it? The seven. Yep, seven's the other one. Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not getting. I got, I got a little bit cute on the Monday card Tuesday. I'm not getting as cute here with the babies. Um, yeah, where I, I'm going to go with the seven ran really they're well. All, they're, they're all making their second time starts. Mm-hmm. None of none of the none of the firsters really. The three. That would be the only one that jumped out to me too. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise. Otherwise, that's where I'm going on. I'm going with going with the second timers, the the two, the four, and the seven. Yep, those are the, the horses you just mentioned. Are the four that I'll I'll probably use to start. I'll probably play two different tickets, and I may play one where I actually single the seven, and and I'll play another, maybe another where I go two, three, four, seven. He just ran really, really well in his debut. He was in some traffic. He was in between horses. He held his his spot really well in a tight spot, which is not an easy thing to do for a two year old first time starter where you're in between horses down on the inside. It's a field of ten, and he moved through. He moved all the way up the challenge. He was a clear-cut second best that day. He was four-plus lengths in front of um, Kids Influence, who just did, did get away slowly and moved up late. So, yeah, I think, for me, it's the seven, 
no doubt about it. Seven three, uh, seven four three two are, are the the horses who I'll use, and uh, and and maybe just a single of a uh, of Fitzpatrick, and maybe we can get some of that Fitz magic right off the bat in the uh, the Canterbury Pick Five in, in race number five. And you look get- at that one, you got the since it's since that race, that is, I believe, the only one that's had two works since that race. Mm-hmm. But the other ones have had one work, or one of them's had one work, and the other one hasn't had a published work. Um, or wait, yeah, run, run, Runaway Ready since that race on August 3rd hasn't had a published work. The mm-hmm. four has had one work, but Fitzpatrick's like, all right, maybe maybe they weren't ever thinking they were going to win that first race, so turned around and got two works in here. And plus, so and plus the go. race, man, yep. yeah, you, this could be a whole different animal than we, than we saw last time out looming up. Just could be much, much fitter than the rest of this group, and I like that outside, uh, the, the draw towards the outside there, too, with Fitzpatrick's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is weird, a Minnesota bred that that's Really cool breeding on this one You don't see Tappet pop up much in Minnesota's So granddaddy on this one But even that You don't see Tappets on Minnesota breds Anywhere in the In the in the bloodline So that's that's a very interesting one to look at here For that And yeah, I think if, if you're I would have no problem soloing that one Let's move to race number six. We have uh, ten thousand claimers, six and a half furlongs the distance in here. These are Phillies and Mares, three year olds and up, which have never won two, or Minnesota Reds, which have never won three. So, I mean, at, just at first glance, when I look at this race on paper, it feels like there's a lot of early speed with Pokey Gama, who's quick, uh, Party Lights, who's uh, cross entered on for Tuesday and for Wednesday. If she goes in here, she's really quick. The four Champagne Affair, she's pretty quick. The you know the nine Sidasta she's quick. The ten's not slow. She'll probably be more stalking from the outside. Um, they could be going real quick in here early on. They could be they could be going really quick, which could be you know you just never know. It could it could get dangerous? And oh, we got we got some trouble here. These horses are hitting the emergency brake. <laughs> um, I I'm gonna go with the ten here. Um, yep, slingshot mistress were. You look, that horse was off for six months and comes back in a pretty, in the in a, you know, right spot for 10,000 for Rye. But heck, like for being, for being where it was or going off at 27 to one, it's prior race being off for six months, came back and took money and went off as the favorite in the last race. Uh, and that was a two turn mile. We're now cutting back to that six and a half. Maybe this is the right area. Can sit outside the speed a little bit, or maybe we'll just, being be in that spot like and i i think the wade rarick he doesn't have a ton of horses but yeah six of 24 23 percent i think this horse probably is in an all right spot here in this race but yeah like you said there's a ton of speed set up for this or in this race that who knows maybe something all just all hell breaks loose and maybe the like maybe kelsey har on the seven horse yeah keeps that horse I don't know, gets back to the six furlongs here, which had ran third down at Oaklawn and a 10,000 claimer. And all right, maybe can set off, let everything else collapse. And Kelsey take goes wide and cleans up the mess that the others have created. 
Yeah, everything you said with the ten, I completely agree to. I think that that's the horse to beat. I, and and the horses that I'm going to be using in here, really all all three of them, I'm going to end up using five, seven, and ten in most of the exotics. And if if you if you're looking to shorten up, you could probably shorten up to the ten and maybe one other in here because that's a, a horse who's going to get a great trip. I love cutting back from a mile to six and a half. It's just a great cutback because you get so many sprinting horses who are running. You know five and a half or six and they just don't want to go That extra half for long when it gets to Six and a half when you get that cutback from A mile these horses are so fit And the ten just just feels like they're gonna Get a perfect trip in here the seven with the blinkers On a shawl could Maybe just get a little closer with the blinkers On and end up being in a better spot And I actually think Arnold's Patsy So the cutback from a mile and, and coming back from the grass You can make a legitimate excuse Just put a line right through that last effort And then I'm, I'm looking at the race two starts back On June the 16th If she sits a trip just like that Where she's sitting a couple lengths off the pace th- That race would be really competitive in here She's not consistent But that's why you'll get a better price That's why she'll be six or eight to one Instead of you know five to two Because she, she throws a clunker in here or, or there But you can kind of go through them and see why You know the race in April That was at Tampa against open 25 claimers That's just a much tougher group You know you can make an easy excuse there and put a line through it And it was her first start since September So she probably needed that race too So yeah I'm, I'm looking in on Arnold Patsy But I think the other two you mentioned Really feel like they're going to get great trips The the seven hush y'all and the ten slingshot mistress and for people who are playing potentially multiple tickets, you can look at it two different ways. Like with the, with these first two legs, maybe maybe you solo that seven in the first leg, and then you come back and you use the five, seven, ten here. And then maybe on your other ticket, you do use multiple horses in that first race, and then you solo the ten here, and you absolutely you're right on one of them. Maybe you're right on if it goes seven, ten. It, then you have a dollar ticket alive going to the final three legs. And absolutely, worst cases to be in. Mm-hmm. That's 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 how I'm I'm playing a lot of my tickets just like that. It just give you an opportunity if the, if it's either the shorter price horses that you like or your stronger opinions are right. You, you want to give you know then you then you don't have to waste other horses all throughout that way. It, it's just a it's a way to build your tickets as we move to race number seven. So we have uh, another one of these um um claiming races where there are a couple ways to qualify. We've got the Three-year-olds and up which have not won two races since May 18th or which have never won four Races and they're going to go a mile on the Turf course here I thought this was a Really fun race to uh, to, to Handicap you got a big field Going the mile on the turf course here And this is another race where I think on paper it looks like the Four shades of victory is pretty quick The, the five most amusing has been sprinting On the dirt showing speed I'd imagine He's going to be right on the lead Outrun the posse is never too far out of it Executive Decree is another one who's been Showing speed sprinting on the dirt And now will be going long They're pretty quick So Minnesota Miracle is not exactly slow I think he'll probably end up you know, Sitting off a bit in this spot But another race that could go pretty quick early on Could go very quick I the, the And the Canary Turf course has been playing pretty fair this year, where it's not like, all right, you need to use, you need to use speed here, or it's speed is dying and it's all closers. It's, it's, it's been running extremely fair, which is, which, which makes everything more, which makes it fun when you're coming mm-hmm. up to opinions where you don't need the inside info of, uh, hey, I play Canary all the time. If your horse isn't in the top three, 
You got no shot. Around. You, you have yep. no chance. Like, and in the other way, some turf courses are the other way too, where it's like, mm-hmm. if you're on the front end, you have no shot. Everything is winning down the middle of the racetrack with these like late, big sweeping moves. It's been a really, really fair racetrack in particular, the turf course. That's a, it's a good point. And, and like you said, it makes a, a race like this fun because you look at it and you go, okay, if there is an honest pace, it should set up for some of these stalkers, closers. A couple to me that I look at um, are the two and the eight. Um, great Sky and Scattered Cash Who were able to beat uh, Scattered Cash was able to beat Outrun the Posse Last time out Great Sky was just defeated by Outrun the Posse But they sort of feel If the race unfolds how I think it is going to On paper They feel like they're going to be in really nice spots Sitting behind those speed So behind the speed and pounce Yeah I I have no issue with either of them Like I like My top pick in this is going to be Minnesota Miracle Because mm-hmm. I don't know, you, you see the it, it's a men bread, but it won at twenty five thousand open, open, and it won there. So now they're cutting it in a half and dropping down again. Like, all right, well if they could win there, like then they should be able to be in a pretty good spot here. So I, the, the three is gonna be my gonna be my pick. Um, but yeah, the, the great sky definitely looked at that with getting back getting back to the turf like Arietta had success with that horse at cannery last year on the turf like one at 16,000 won a couple times uh and yeah Diodoro he's not the top of the trainer's tra- trainer standings at cannery this year but it's it's mainly due to the supply that he has there where the, he's still winning at 27% he's just not firing eight as many in a race car mm-hmm. like he yeah. was the previous yeah. years it's so when you see him not at the top of the trainer standing, it's based off of quantity, but the, the quality and what he's sending out there is, is doing well. Um, so yeah, the two, three, and then like, like you said, the eight there, I'm I'll run the posse. I'm, I'm as the six, I'm tossing that. I'm not using it. If it beats me, me, it beats me. And yeah, I think that was, that was going to be it. That's where I go on there. I'm yeah. not getting overly cute, but yeah, the case that you made for the eight, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of depend on the three. The other one, I guess, maybe is the four um, speed. But, yeah, like like you said, the, this thing, this this is another one where it could get messy. But, yeah, this horse last year is racing at Del Mar in San Anita. And, yeah, it was in stakes races. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is you know, the one, the, a couple horses that I kind of sort of treat as wild cards and, and if I'm playing one of those tickets where I've singled early on, I'll probably spread uh, be able to use a couple extras in here, and I'll throw in maybe the one Tyler's Tech on a ticket just as a yeah. wild card who comes in for Brinson, and he's got some competitive races at Turf Paradise. You put the blinkers on, yeah, he hasn't raced since March. That's definitely not a, a positive, but this is a barn who can get him ready to fire, and he could just be sitting in a good spot, saving all the ground from the rail, and then maybe the nine, just because Sweeping Edge hasn't been as good on the grass. But he's just a better horse now since Broberg's taken over. You know, he just he's in the best form of his career right now, where he's rattled off, you know, three of his last four victories. So this would be the time to maybe transfer the form over to the grass. And uh, so may I, I could I could see Flum flopping sweeping edge in on a on a ticket or two here in um in race number seven. Yep. Let's get to the eight. Yep. We got uh, Minnesota Breds, Phillies and Mares, three-year-olds and upwards, five furlongs the distance. The And so this was that other race. Uh, we talked about a race on Monday in the pick five sequence that includes Cowgirl Court and Baby Gordita. They're both entered in this race too. 
And I think this race is is probably even a better spot for the both of them. Um, just from a distance standpoint, I think especially for Cowgirl Court going five furlongs, she probably has a better shot trying to hang on there than trying to go six furlongs. But um, just you know, again, they're they're keys to this race because they have speed and they should be involved throughout. And in particular, a horse like Cowgirl Court. But there's there's a pretty good amount of other speed in here too. Again, like the Nine Cat Song, I I was, you know. I was pretty impressed with Warren's wish. I thought when he dropped down, when she dropped down to the maiden 75 level, that she ran pretty well when she was second behind the heavier favorite that day. I think she'll end up sitting a really good spot since they're cutting back in here. There's a couple others that may be quicker, and I could just see her maybe stalking and pouncing. Yeah, uh, the, the, this race for me goes through the two Mac horses, the three and the, the three and the nine. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know. Mac Robertson wins at Canterbury, and he, with Minbreds, he is just a machine. That Bob South stuff, so like that nine ran, was was wasn't the favorite, but was damn near the favorite. Out coming off good works, and then throwing a dud at twenty five thousand main claimers, and now they're they're dropping. I, the thing that surprises me is, it it seems like when Max drop into main claiming levels that that. All right, these are these are clearly not his top stock. Mm-hmm. It's that, just kind of like, like empty now. Winning percent. Like, yeah, wow, that like completely. It doesn't feel like like it it adds up, but it it does. Yeah. The barn just continues to to crunch out winners. Yeah, the nine. Then see, just n- not sh- knowing what we're gonna see with four, the four and the six. What's nice is like we'll obviously know by Tuesday because we'll have mm-hmm. seen them run on Monday if they're in this race. I would. You know, I would look. I would give them a little bit of a look just because they're they're horses you maybe want to toss in with their speed. I'll start with the three. I completely agree with you. I think the nine, the more I would prefer the Mac horses anyways. Um, the three and the nine, if I if I needed two, the 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 one sort of price that I will throw in is maybe the eight Hot Habanero. Be she faced better. She was a step slow, and then she kind of moved up into a spot where she wasn't too far out of it. She looked okay for a second, and then she got outrun. And now you drop again in class, and you cut back. It was just her first start. If she sort of breaks and is in that same spot again, again, softer, maybe she can just kind of fall into a, a good trip at a big price and hit the board or, or maybe shock someone um, in his pick five and really spice it up. But I think, I think we both sort of uh, feel like this race really goes through Mac, right? Yep, I think this race goes through Mac. The... The concern I have, so like, yeah, the three is probably the one that I would I would like the most. The thing that worries about me, I guess, on the that eight along with the nine is like, so that minbred main claiming race twenty five thousand, like that only had five entries, and these horses were no factor at all. Which is now potentially we'll see if there's any what the defections do or what ends up going with that, but. All of a sudden, you get a nine-horse race, and I know it. Like when I when I look at the low levels of main claiming, and horses maybe don't like to pass. And I somebody no, right. said at Santa Anita, and it like it really stuck with me. Of like one thing about like main claimers is they just don't. Some of them just don't like to pass. They've gotten used to stuck as. that dirt kicking in their face, getting behind yeah. horses, and you just kind of become a pack animal. You start backing up, you, you get to the front and back up, and you think that's sort of what you're supposed to do instead of the other way around. You know, um, you're, you're right. You're, you're right with, with the nine cat song, and, and that's what I didn't. This is a negative for both the eight and the nine, and so like, this is another situation where hey, I wouldn't 
talk somebody off if they wanted to single the three who's, Who really does look like the mo- more logical, proven, the most likely winner of this race Broke on top, pressed, um, got pressed by the rival to the outside And and, and this horse was second best, just couldn't hold off a, a late challenge I think the key is the the trip, but Arroyo's been been capable, and, if, and as long as she this filly is just in maybe sitting third, she she should be pretty tough in here. Yes, no, I totally totally agree. Though the interesting thing, so look, with like the six Arietta, so that's the one that's cross entered on Monday. So Monday, Arietta is on a fifteen to one horse with with a with a guy that he I believe must have ran at with down in. Bonner, I think he's got some back with him with Esteban Martinez, but it's not like there's a big connection there. And on on the Monday race, Beeler is using his wife, Lori Beeler, as the jockey. Where for the Tuesday race, he Arietta, he's getting Arietta, which Arietta, that is interesting. Jockey, yeah, former jockey champion. So that I'll say based on that, the jockey upgrade based off of the past history on that, but. Choosing choosing Arietta over the wife, so that's a hey, honey, disgusting. I, I know, huh? It's like hey, hey yeah, hey, uh, hey sweetheart, I got. There's got to be something behind that the story there. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. That's a good good point. I love. That's what's nice when um with when you and and, and Brian are on too, because there's all little all sorts of you know I can handicap everything on the paper. And I think a lot of other people can too, but you know the connections and you know these little unique things about the horses, the owners, the trainers, where the jockeys, where they've come from, things like that, that maybe the average person doesn't know. And just a little tidbits like that, always, uh, always fun and, and nice to, uh, nice to have. So we got our fun condition again in race number nine. We got the, uh, the three-year-olds and up, which have not won a race since August the 18th. So they haven't won in a year or They've started at Canterbury in 2020 and they haven't hit the board. So one of those two ways to qualify for this race. And uh, I really like the seven in here uh, quite a bit. Masterful stride. Cause I'm looking at the conditions of this race and he fits really well in that he's run at Canterbury and he's run fourth and in his fourth last time out was a better than it looks fourth. He had a slow start. He was last. Then he made the, he makes a move on the outside, a four wide move from the back of the pack, four and then five wide, all the way up to challenge to take the lead, three wide at the top of the lane, and then he he flattened out a little bit. He just made that big big wide move. It was going six and a half furlongs. Now you're going to cut back to six furlongs. He actually ran really well, finishing fourth. The way these conditions are, he didn't hit the board, so you know he's got three consecutive fourth place efforts where he hasn't been. Getting trounced, he's been in the races and and like that one too. So, um, you know, the six is very logical. The one's taking a big drop down in class for Broberg. Uh, the four is another one who's dropping off of off of claims. They're probably some of the more logical horses in here. Broberg's got two. So, where do you uh, where do you go in the ninth? So I was I was leaning towards the both Brobergs is where I'm going with the one Hattie's Jewel along with yeah, the other one is the five. I, I I like the one better, but when you got when you got the same trainer entering two, see it happen with Chad Brown. It seems a lot where wow the the other one won, not not the one that you're thinking of. And the other uh, one's got Rye too, right? Yep the the other one in this mm-hmm. scenario is the five, and it, it's got Rye. And yeah, you look at that thing down at Remington was. Yeah, versus Oklahoma breads was was running allowance races three back for forty six thousand. Um, 
and he, he's kind of zigzag that one all around. But I, I'm I'm leaning towards yeah the the Brobergs there along with along with your seven. Yep. Be where I would go there. Yeah, the Brobergs are are the the logicals. Uh, the the one five the the seven Masterful Strider I mentioned. Azarak would be uh, going third off the bench, and and he's coming out of. Productive races, he's been behind Mast and Royal Privacy recently And I just didn't know what to do with the four You know, I never like when when We've, we've, we've talked about things like this all the time um, With you on here I never like it when you claim for 10 And then you drop in for 7,500 right away And then imme- you don't run well And then immediately Now you're dropping in for 4,000 It just it, Could he win? Absolutely But it doesn't make you feel confident When when that's the, the pattern right off of the claim Yeah, that's when there's when there's smoke, sometimes there's fire. Mm-hmm. And, oh, what was there was golly, you play there was there was a race this weekend at Saratoga. Well, eight. It was like right that was the ten horse that mm-hmm. had like was taking two massive drops and and didn't run a lick. Okay, I thought we were talking about the race where all eight horses got claimed. I don't yeah, know if you saw. Dude, it. Yeah, then that happened too. Yeah, like, which was bizarre. All eight horses got claimed. But but no, you take these massive. It's the drop. It's just you. You have to have sort of a reason for the drop, or the spot of the drop has to make sense. Like back to a claim level is fine. But when you're, you know, this is like you said, this is a horse who was was against first level allowance and allowance company at, at Sam Houston, and not that long ago was competitive there, and now you're just. I think they're just assuming, hey, maybe maybe someone will will take this one off our hands. Maybe the the real big drop in class can wake them up. They're just they're hoping they're kind of keeping their fingers crossed. Whereas it looks like there are others in here that are well meant. I'd much prefer the Brobergs and the the six and the seven. Um, if, if you know if you're looking for the logical contenders in here, so yeah, a couple couple really fun pick five sequences that we mm-hmm. talked about. Give us one or two horses throughout the Tuesday pick five that you uh, that you really like. That's uh, really. Who who should the public use to make sure that they use out of the sequence? Um, golly, I'm gonna say, I, I, it's it's yeah, it's it's not sexy by any means, but I, I'm gonna say that, but yeah, it's that that ten horse in, in the, the seven, yeah, yeah. I th- it could be a good I, single I think there. That's the most likely winner between the, the two days that we did. I think that's maybe the most likely winner of the two days. Um, so that obviously means I've just completely jinxed it. So it won't win. So that either means Minnesota Miracle so is going to win. Expect the or... most trouble trip ever and then come running yeah. on for second, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I just completely dug my own grave with that one. Um, so yeah, that, that would be the 10 is where I would go on that. Is that if, if somebody's trying to stay slim in one of the legs, that's probably the one. Otherwise, yeah, that seven in the first leg of the pick five would be. I think I mean, who who knows or or you just say you know what I'm gonna go seven ten and then bombs away Fire. you throw five and six yeah the next three races and you create yourself a sixty dollar ticket you hope to hang on and then catch a price absolutely two or three yeah that's not that's not a bad approach at all um and that's a that's one thing that's great about these you know I'm and I know you're the similar there's no template. We're not coming out here going, hey, every every day I'm going to go three by three by three by three, or I'm going to go single by two by. It's just it's always different. It's always fine to play a few tickets in. Sometimes it's the you know for me a lot of the times when I hit, it'll be like my my one little small saver backup ticket that I would have never thought was going to hit, it, where I just went like all in one leg and then single 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 a lot of my you know my stronger opinions and that one hits because the one race that she just didn't really like you, you spread out in so. 
yeah, these were fun. These were fun Monday, Tuesday cards to uh, to discuss with you. And I mean, you you're swinging a hot bat right now, so hopefully we can keep it up going this week after your uh, your nice scores last week. Let the folks who are listening on on Tuesday know if they want to chat with you out there, if they want to follow along. Where can we find you on Twitter? Yeah, uh, my name it's at <laughs> at Superstats Dave on Twitter. Uh, I love interacting with people. I will say uh, on Wednesday, so we did the Monday Tuesday cards. On Wednesday is like the Minnesota Made Day at Canterbury. And the late pick five, I think, consists of five stakes races. Oh, cool. And it's kind of some, some Minnesota heavy hitters. I believe the last race of the day, that runaway ready is in there. Who's cool. Stretching out kind of mile and 16th, I believe. But Monday, yeah, the Wednesday card is going to be a mix of it's it's five stakes races. And then you got some dirt and some turf in there. So we did a, we did a couple of very interesting cards. And Wednesday is there's a lot of quality in the Wednesday late pick five as well so that's so it, it's a good week to be playing canberra i think the weather is going to be good all week um so it should be should be very good it's it's man it's sad it's mid to august here and we're in the in the final month it was seems like we were delayed getting to it and then the summer is just flown it really has it has flown by so yeah we'll have to to get you on uh at least one more time uh, before the the canterbury meet ends Dave, thank you so much, man. I always have a blast talking with you. And and the, if some of the folks missed uh, the Monday stuff at the very beginning of Monday, we also chatted a little bit about a a nice pick six score you had over the the week, and we chatted a little NBA basketball. Gave some thoughts on that too. So love when uh, love when we can talk all sorts of different things. And and I I always have a blast talking to you. Look forward to bringing you back again. Nope, sounds good. Hey, I I needed to get your opinion. On okay. Something. What did you think of the Randy Orton Ric Flair interaction Ooh. week? Oh, so. Randy's been great And you know I know they, they didn't want to it, it, They were put in a tough spot I'm sure because they don't want to see Ric Flair taking any bumps You know they don't want to actually see it so they had to You know to make the, the lights go out and, and black it out there But I I like what Orton's doing I think it was great and Flair is He was phenomenal That, that would you know he can He can get those tears anytime he wants And yep. it was he instantly can turn from the guy that people have been hating the last couple months to the guy that everybody feels bad for, and that just shows you what an incredible performer he is. And you know, I've not always been a Randy Orton guy. He's someone who can go through the motions sometimes, and and you could tell when he's really cares about something and when he doesn't. He cares about this. He was he's into this with Flair. This was a good storyline. It makes me excited, more excited for the SummerSlam match with Drew. And um, I, I Flair is just phenomenal. It, it was great. Yeah, that was with. Going into the stories as deep as they did and like touchy, touchy stuff on that, and for where they pushed boundaries, like mm-hmm. think about what they've done with Orton here in the last six months with the whole Edge storyline. And like they put him in, like compared to like the depth of some of the other guys that they don't go into, they put Orton in some pretty good spots. But the, the whole that whole thing with him and Flair at the end of the Raw last Monday was very, very interesting to watch. It was, it was done very well. Agree, it's compelling, and and we we you know can we can all um, critique WWF and Vince getting a little older, and they do a lot of goofy, weird things sometimes. But I think a lot of people have been hard on them in the last six months or so with the pandemic and the ratings and stuff going down. One thing that not enough people are talking about is how good Randy's been. This has been a really great, just like you said. They've they've done a good job building the stories for him, setting it up for him. It's all been, been really good, and he feels like a big star. I would not be shocked if he beats Drew and wins that title and, and has a little run with it as the heel and, and makes Drew chase him or, or someone chase him. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm pumped. We'll we'll 
yeah, I got to have you on. Can you after- imagine that with a, with a crowd? Had that uh, done? Had this been pre-pandemic? Oh, with flair in, in there in, in a crowd, like people would be flair, crying. Where flair is loved, and like, what yeah. kind of reaction would? What kind of pop would have? If you're in Charlotte, there? could you imagine, or oh. somewhere like that? Oh, yeah, that would be unbelievable. So. It- it's a it, it's a bummer, and and we're hearing that they're going to change up the location now for SummerSlam, so they won't be in the same spot that they've been over and over and over again. They're going to have some virtual fans, I think, in the mix too. Uh, but yeah, we'll do. You know, I've been doing a lot of those old wrestling rewatches, so when I'll, I'll touch base with you, and maybe and we'll pick a you know an old pay per view that you like one time, and we'll we'll watch it, and we'll come back on here and uh, and recap it and and talk some wrestling. Would love to do that. That would yeah. be awesome. Awesome. Dave, man, I really appreciate it. Dave Handelin, have a blast talking with you. Good luck this week. Let's keep the, the good mojo rolling from your big score last week. And, um, and man, Canterbury, as you said, we talked Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday's a big day also. So we're going to be focusing in on Canterbury all this week. Sounds good. Good talking with you, Gino. Good luck to everybody out there playing. Hopefully, hopefully everybody's cashing tickets because with a 10% takeout, there's enough for everybody. There we go. We all get a little bite at the apple. Don't go anywhere, folks. We will be right back with much more on That's What She Said. We are back. It is the summer. It's the SummerSlam season. We just re- recapped SummerSlam 1994, and now we're going to head back five years earlier to 1989. Look at me. I can do I can do math. Uh, we got Dan, uh, Darren Zocali. We got Andrew Champagne. I almost combined their names into like a Dandrew right there uh, as I was introducing the two of them. But the, Andrew, this was your pick, 89 SummerSlam. And I gotta say, we're gonna laugh, I'm sure, and and joke a lot about Zeus and everything with no holes barred and the the main event tag match. But the first hour to hour and a half of this show, I really, really enjoyed. There was not a lot of bad there. And towards the end, there's a couple things that I could have lived without. And the Zeus stuff is obviously like hate watch funny. But even in that, and and how bad Zeus is, the crowd is insane. And they're really hot for the angle. They love the angle. And I remember as a kid being terrified of Zeus, really thinking that, man, like Hulk can't make an impact. His punches do nothing to this guy. So, you know, you know, three-year-old me at the time, two-and-a-half-year-old, three-year-old me and my cousin who was five watching this, I mean, we were terrified of Zeus. Kids were. So I guess in some way it sort of worked. But give us your overall thoughts. You picked this show um, you know, what did you think on your rewatch, Andrew? And then, uh, and then we'll get to DZ. First of all, I have been called far worse than Dandrew, so it wouldn't have offended me in the slightest. Although <laughs> I can't speak for Darren, so uh, no, I like this show. This is one of my all-time favorite Summer Slams. Not just for the hate watch factor of the main event. There are several genuinely great undercard matches on this show. Kicking things off with the opener with the Heart Foundation against the Brainbusters, a really good six man tag match with the Rockers, the Rougeos, Tito Santana, Rick Martel, all really good workers. The Ultimate Warrior had his best match to date in this match, and it was a phenomenal match. There are some really good promos, and there are some good Easter eggs if you know where to look. I got to tell you, though, guys, I've got one big gripe with this show on the WWE Network. And I'm going to get it out of the open right now. One of the most infamous bloopers in WWF, WWE history comes on this show. And they edited it out on the WWE Network. There is a promo backstage with Gene Okerlund, Rick Rude, and Bobby Heenan. And the SummerSlam sign falls down. It is on YouTube. (laughs) It is hysterical. 
It is not, however, on the WWE Network's version of this show, and I am irate because as I rewatched this show, I was waiting for it. I was looking. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And then they finally air the Rude promo, and it's the second take. I was pissed. The, 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 what we see right off the bat in this show, too, there's, and, and we'll get into it, the intro, the little intro promo with their just like wrestler, random person riding a bike, wrestler, random person swimming, little kid eating ice cream, wrestler. It's, it's really funny. You could tell this was right when, you know, we we're going to promote No Holes Bar to the movie. This is when WWE and Vince McMahon uh, delved into movies for the first time. And so they're getting a little goofy with some of the, their toys and, uh, and, and the way they're editing things. But what was another thing, Darren, that was kind of like an overarching theme, at least to me, of this show was you got a lot of guys on this particular SummerSlam that we saw as the competitors for many years. You know, you got the Brainbusters, two of the four horsemen. You got Dusty Rhodes, who's on there. You got Garvin, who's also in the mix, too. So, I mean, we're talking about a couple major players from NWA who are now over here in WWF. Yeah, it's it's a cool it's a cool show for for a lot of reasons, and that's that's one of them. Uh, when we when we I touched upon the fact that I was fortunate enough to to be at this show. I was uh, I think I was six years old. Um, one thing I remember before the first match being in the arena. I, I actually thought as a kid, I thought this match was for the belts. The first match, um, and we'll get into why it wasn't as we as we get to it, but. I remember being so demoralized by the result because I, I was being talked about. I was a huge Bret Hart guy and uh, I didn't find out. I can't even remember when probably like years and years later that this match wasn't even for the titles. So uh, it almost ruined my entire experience because I was so upset that Bret didn't win the belts and didn't even realize that even if he won, they wouldn't have won the titles. Um yeah, I, I agree with a lot of the stuff that Andrew said. Uh, I, I forgot how good this match was that the Ultimate Warrior and Rick Root had. Um, it, it's enjoyable. The crowd is it, the crowd is hot for a lot of this stuff. Uh, the first match, they go nuts with a couple of things. The Dusty match, they go nuts for him, obviously. Uh, yeah, maybe there's one or two matches that I could have done without to shorten it a little bit uh, if I had a complaint about it. But you got a lot of talent on here. You got a lot of big names. Uh, you know, the Zeus part is what it is, and I'm sure we'll talk about that at length. But I would say this was a, a very solid pay-per-view, and I do remember enjoying it quite a bit in person as well. Yeah, this was better than I was expecting it to be. Because, you know, you look, you just kind of glance when we, we talk about what show we're going to do, and we look through what the card is, and we think, okay, maybe this is... But, but this is another one of those fun ones when you look through the card and you start going down, and you go, okay, so we got... Two of the four horsemen and Brett the Hitman Hart and the Hart Foundation, a really classic team in the first match. We've got, you know, Dusty Rhodes and the Honky Tonk, who are classic characters. We got Mr. Perfect here. We got a great match from Ultimate Warrior. We got Shawn Michaels here with the Rockers and Tito. Um, There are a lot of of big stars here, whether they weren't quite all big stars at the time, but, but a lot of the... Our friends from this really classic era And this this gen- this era Generally I just get that Nostalgic warm feeling when I Watch them whether, whether it be the theme music Or whatever it is I don't know I just Sometimes the quality of a 94 show Might be better than an 89 show But it just there's just something about watching him From this like 87 through 92 range where it just 
don't know, it brings you back to being a kid and it makes it feels a little bit better than it than it probably even even is. But I like this this show quite a bit. I didn't think there were a lot of down parts and you know until we get to the bottom and let's kind of get right into it. We are SummerSlam nineteen eighty nine. Tony Schiavone even another NWA you know Schiavone the Brain Busters Dusty Rhodes Ronnie Garvin and um, this is at a time when Vincent Crockett are going back and forth doing their counter programming creating pay per views to you know compete with the other and we got Tony and Jesse at commentary this was in Tony Schiavone's short lived WWF run you I think at the beginning he's a little nervous and throughout. He has a couple botch, botches, swings and misses, things that he's a little goofy. But for the most part, I, I thought he was okay. He just he's in there with a tough competitor with Jesse. So it's like if you lo- if you throw anything out there that's that's not sharp, Jesse is going to eat you alive. And he does it a few times. I know Andrew's got to point to one of them later, which is just great. And um, all time classic. Was, and I'm going to love going through it. Oh, it's great. And. um Jesse tells Tony to stay in line And calls Tony the reason why Bobby the Brain Isn't on the air right now They run down the card And we get that montage that I I mentioned It's so bizarre So we see a wrestler in the ring And then they'll cut to some random person In their everyday life with like a summertime activity Jimmy Snuka, people jumping in a pool Ted DiBiase, person on bike Heart Foundation, woman in convertible Brain Busters, kid eating a chocolate dipped ice cream Ultimate Warrior, woman on beach. Rick Rude, softball game. Twin Towers, kid in playground. Demolition, guy playing golf. Dusty Rhodes, someone water skiing. Honky Tonk Man, kid on a slide. <laughs> Brutus the Barber Beefcake, kid on swings. Macho Man, girl eating watermelon. Hulk Hogan, then the SummerSlam logo. It was just. It was just so funny. I, I laughed. I watched it a few different times just so I could get the uh, the correct order there. And we get a nice tag to to start out. The the action is really good. The one thing, and you you pointed at it a little bit, Darren. And so I'll get to you to to start with this match. Is that if the the Brainbusters are going to win this match anyways, who the why is it not for the title? Who the hell cares? We don't know. Just tell us it's going to be for the titles. Now and they're not going to lose anyways It doesn't matter it just seems so weird To point that stipulation out To make a big deal about how the fact They signed this match before the belts They had the belts and Tony and Jesse Had that little shtick about whether or not they would Put up the belts if they could and I I don't know it just it's You're hearing all this and you're going to assume That the Hart Foundation wins based on all that It just seemed like an unnecessary Extra little bit for this match and That was the only thing that really rubbed me the wrong way Uh, Otherwise I you know, this was a really good tag match between four guys who can work. Three are really good workers, and one really knows his role. Yeah, I, I the one thing that I really enjoyed about this match is that uh, a lot of times in these tag matches that we saw in some of the spots, Brett really like carried the match. And I'm not saying that Brett didn't carry parts of this match because, of course, he did. But in working with Blanchard and Arn Anderson, he didn't have to work as hard to do it. Uh, and it shows in the in the quality of the match and because of the quality of his opponents. Um, so I really did enjoy that that element of the match. Um, the storyline, yeah, that. So basically, what happened was Demolition, uh, who had won the belts from Strike Force back at uh, at WrestleMania Four, uh, had held the belts for basically a year and a half, and they actually lost the belts on Saturday Night Main Event. Just shortly before this, which I think was aired actually like two weeks after it actually took place in a two out of three falls match. 
So they basically went with the storyline that because the match was signed before uh, the belt, you know, before the Brainbusters won the belts, that the match didn't have to be for the title. So that was kind of the storyline. And the only thing I could come up with, and I'm probably giving the WWE too much credit back then, is that at this point in time, a big part of the storyline for, for the Hart Foundation was they had been chasing the belts for a while. Um, they lost the belts to Strike Force uh, in the fall of 87, and they were kind of chasing demolition. And then, you know, the Brainbusters are able to get their hands on the belts before the Hearts do. And, and that kind of is a theme all the way up until they finally win the belts at, at SummerSlam 1990, where they're they're on the chase. And maybe that's a part of it. I don't know if Vince was creative enough back then to actually think about that. But I guess you could take that, you know, that aspect of it. Um, the match itself I thought was great. Uh, foreign change on, on the star meter for me. Uh, you know, the beginning parts of the match, Hart Foundation essentially dominated with you know, the Brainbusters getting in a few spots. So even with the loss, they were able to protect the Heart Foundation that way. Uh, there's a cool, like, double uh, double arm toss that Brett does that the, cloud, the crowd goes nuts with, where it probably wasn't even a difficult move for him, but it looks so cool when he flipped, you know, both uh, Arn and Blanchard backwards over. And, and, and it was just a Yeah, cool like an arm drag there's kind of a thing. Arms. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, yeah. It was a cool spot. It's something that I didn't even remember, and you don't really see that that move too often, like a double arm drag kind of reverse thing. There's there's quite a few times that that you you think that the Hart Foundation are going to win, and I almost felt like the crowd probably thought that the belts were on the line because they were really hot for this match, uh, especially at the times where where it looked like the Hearts were going to go over. Um, the ending, I mean, the finish kind of irked me a little because, you know, I mean, Brett gets beat with a double axe handle to the back, like when he's going for a pinfall. I mean, okay. Um, one thing that I will say, and then I'll pass it off to Andrew. I don't want to ramble too much. Uh, is that one thing the announcers did not pick up here. They were complaining that the lead, that the legal man did not get the cover at the end of the match. And they were kind of going on and on about that. And it was unfortunate that they missed with what Arn Anderson did. Because after he, hits him with the with the axe handle and throws Tully out of the ring and goes for the cover. He takes Brett's arm and covers his head with it. So the ref cannot see who's actually making the cover for the brain busters. And it was actually a really cool spot. And neither Jesse or Tony picked up on it. And they were just kind of like beside themselves that the wrong man, you know, got the win, like the, the wasn't the legal man. But Arn actually did a great job of that that spot where he hit his head underneath his arm and Brett's arm when he got the cover, which did not allow the ref to notice that it was a different brain buster in the ring. And it would have been better if, if Jesse, you know, or, or even Shivani had picked up on it, but unfortunately they didn't. But other than that, thoroughly enjoyed it. Great opener for the pay-per-view. Okay, all-time dad joke coming up here, guys. If they were beside themselves. Did that mean there were two of them? Uh-huh. <laughs> the <Okay>. doings. <laughs> yep, pretty much. So anyway, I really like this match. Uh, it doesn't make any sense why this match wasn't for the title. They tried to retcon it. Didn't really sit well with me. The move I'm going to point out with Brett, Darren, you mentioned that double arm drag thing that he did. I really liked the body slam that he did with the hammer lock still cinched in. That was probably a really mm. simple move, but it 
looks brutal, and Arn sells it like he's just had his arm ripped out of his socket. That's such a simple yeah. move, and I wonder why more big guys don't do that now. That could be a real legitimate transition move for someone in NXT if they wanted to bring that back because it looks deadly, and it's probably a really safe move to do if you know what you're doing. Jesse gets in a really good line on Night Art saying, this guy don't play with a full deck. And then you get the weasel <laughs> chance for Heenan. That's really cool. The part of this match that I like the most, though, Brett and Tully tell a story with Brett in this routine bridge that looks like a rest hold and would be treated like a rest hold with just about anybody else. But Jesse sells it hard, talking about the next strength that Bret Hart has not going down. And it makes it such a convincing story to where Tully's trying to push him down and Brett's using his amateur skills to keep himself in a position where he's not on the mat. That was a really cool little spot. And this is something that I'm going to harp on again in the six-man match later on in this show. For one thing, it's a wonder how bad the tag division would get in just three or four years from now. Because the tag division here in 1989, surprisingly loaded. You had the Hearts, you had the Brainbusters, you had the Rockers, you had the Rougeos, you had a couple of other teams that could potentially be tag title contenders that were fun to watch. It was a good time for the tag teams. And the thing that I liked about the way they booked these matches was they didn't try to overbook the matches or overfill the matches. Look, I understand wrestling's changed in 31 years. I get it. You watch a tag title match now, like, for instance, something in AEW with the Young Bucks. And I like the Young Bucks a lot. I think they're fantastic. If every move is a big move, no move is a big move. There was so yeah. much psychology in all of these matches. Mm -hmm. And I loved it because they didn't have to do too much to tell an effective story. And these were some of the guys who wound up being some of the best in the history of the sport at doing what they were doing. So... I wasn't crazy about the finish, but I get where they were going. The Hart Foundation didn't lose anything in defeat, obviously. They stayed in the chase. They stayed over. This was really cool. Great opener. Really enjoyed it. And this was one of the reasons I picked the show. Uh, Jesse says the anvil is strange and he doesn't play with a full deck. He actually uses that full deck comment twice uh, in, in the evening. He says it about Warrior again uh, later on. Well, it and... fits with him, too. Yeah, it, it does. It, 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 as I can say, it's it's fitting. So um, then Tony makes that snarky comment, and he says he doesn't blame he, Bobby for not putting up the titles, and Jesse won't have it. He says, how can you blame him for not putting up the titles when they didn't have him in the first place? And Jesse says, well, they could just make it a title match, and, Je and, and Jesse says, would you do that? And Tony pauses, and I, I think I would. Jesse says, oh, yeah, right. Now I've heard everything, Shabani. So uh, we get weasel chants from the crowd. Brett hits that cool double arm drag. And Bobby's trying to rally the troops outside the ring. He tells the the Busters not to worry. Titles are on the line. It's okay. It's okay. And you know the heels turn it around. They go to work. You get a hot tag to Brett. House on fire. And Brett gives us a uh, one of his uh, moves, the elbow off the middle rope, then a suplex. All four men in the ring. And then the the schmas at the end where Anvil slams Brett onto Tully. They look like they're going to have the win, but Brain distracts um, the ref and Anvil. And that's when Arn comes in off the top rope. With the uh, the double axe handle there and on the back of Brett's neck for the win. Good tag, good tag match. Really, really, really fun one. And uh, you know you wouldn't expect anything less with these guys. All really good workers. And um, we get to Mean Gene backstage with Dusty Rose, Mac and Dream. Who, wow, 
I mean, I don't know what he said here. I want a transcript. I, I don't. Can I mean, somebody transcribe no. this and maybe maybe translate it to English because I have no clue what he is talking about. Talking about dancing, and this is just goofy as hell. And he ends it by saying, "I'm gonna kick your booty." And I mean, th- this was the and, you know when we hear all the ribs about they brought Dusty over here and they wanted to embarrass him and this and that, and when you see. Homos in situations like this you, you think so because This is not the guy who was the Top guy in the NWA for a Decade and cutting these really deep Promos he would get goofy and funny It's not that he didn't have personality In that sense but I don't know I mean this Yeah this wasn't great I mean he's got He's got the polka dots on and he's got a police hat And the nightstick And um, the handcuffs don't forget the handcuffs Yeah and the handcuffs too um, But I, I will say I do love American Dream. He's just the common man. It's great. It's a great entrance. Great theme song for Dusty Rhodes. And as much as we laugh, again, huge pop. Uh, the crowd wanted this to work. They wanted Dusty to be a, a big star. And he wasn't exactly nothing. He was just. Like a sort of a mid Carter, you know. That's just really, really he was. He didn't get elevated into any real top, top level feuds. And um, this is, you know, the honky tonk versus Dusty Road. So it's not going to be incredible in the ring. But the crowd is is pretty into this, Andrew. I will say, you got a a big man who's out of shape, and Dusty jokes about how you know he went to the pay window with the polka dots. But this isn't. Awful. I think this is one of those matches where if you were just watching it in a vacuum in an empty arena like nowadays or with the sound turned down, you'd be eh. But the fact that the crowd's into it, they're playing some cat and mouse, they're both playing to the crowd a little bit, I think that helps this match quite a bit. A little. I gotta tell you, I didn't like this match nearly as much as you did. I thought it stunk. Dusty's 43 years old at this point, and while he had always been big and wide, he was starting to let himself go at this point. He would wind up dropping a little bit of the weight by the next WrestleMania when he had the mixed tag match with Savage and Sherry with Sapphire at his side. But this match was all honky-tonk man selling, which, to be fair, he's not necessarily a bad seller, but you try to get honky-tonk man some offense, and it's, it's not a pretty sight. And it, this was slow. It was plodding. The finish, though, did get the crowd fired up. Honky Tonk Man gets hit by his own guitar. However, you got to look really closely because Jimmy Hart kind of butchered the way he hit Honky Tonk with the guitar. The guitar doesn't break. Jimmy Hart has to sort of throw the guitar on the floor so that they can have the visual after the match of the broken camera on the apron. It's a strange thing. I didn't like this match, especially coming on the heels of a really good opener. I just, this didn't sit well with me. I know Dusty was in a tough position. He was still over. The crowd liked that he went over, and that was fine. But this is in a part of the show where every other match is either really, really good, or it tells a really good story. This was neither. Yeah, I mean, the crowd's into Dusty, but... I have to agree with Andrew. There's really not much to this match. Uh, I mean, there's even one spot that 
Honky even gets caught looking when 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 Jimmy Hart grabs Dusty's leg and Honky's like on already on his way back up off the mat and he's like looking to see what's going on and Dusty goes out the ring and Honky has to like play it up and crawl around for a bit. That's the spot where he goes for the megaphone. It's it's kind of sloppy at times and uh, yeah, I mean then Dusty sells like the megaphone to the to the gut. It looks a little silly. Um, yeah, the ending with you know I mean Jimmy Hart is. Jimmy Hart, like, swinging a guitar is like, you know, my daughter swinging a driver. It's really not going to have much of an impact. Um, so you kind of have that situation happen. The, for me, to be, I'll be honest with you, the, the best part of this match was also the funniest part was when, like, Honky's walking back up the ramp and they try to interview him and he's, like, has no idea where he is. You know, it's, he's kind of like Joe Biden when he's in Australia and thinks he's back in Delaware, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I mean I found I found that pretty funny when he's like up there and he's like hey where's the stage man I got I got to get up there and yeah like, that, that was probably yeah he said something about Priscilla and they're trying to like tie it into Priscilla um, yeah. Presley right you know and it's just it, yeah. it's funny when Mooney yeah. does things like that because it's like Mooney who the hell knows what you're saying but but he he did play a good concuss yeah. like Honky was funny at that point when he's all flustered and yeah. Yeah, so for me, that was like the funniest part of the match. The the, the rest of the match for me was just kind of, kind of. Eh, I I didn't really enjoy it that much, but um, it, it would have had to have been a hell of a good second match coming off the heels of the opener for me to really get behind it. Yeah, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I didn't I didn't love this match. I just think it was one of those where, if I'm watching this and I'm not listening to to with the crowd and getting a little more into it, it's atrocious. I didn't mind it with the fact that we had a, a you know. A, a hot crowd for Dusty. This was Dusty's first match, first big match. He was, you know, he was. Uh, we, we saw the vignettes and everything before, but this was his his first big big time on a uh, a WWF show. So Dusty Rhodes gets the win over Honky Tonk at uh, just over nine nine and a half minutes here um, on uh, on this one. We get next to. Where we go, Mean Gene. He's backstage with Demolition and with uh, with Hacksaw. Who has the demolition mask and the king hat He's just all over the place here He's got the 2x4 with the red, white, and blue He's got the king hat He's got the uh, the Jason Hockey mask going on They cut a promo On their opponents for later Andre and the Twin Towers It's nothing much, it's, it's pretty basic uh, I gotta tell you though Hacksaw has a line here Get That I us. laughed out loud at Okay, I'm gonna try to get into my Hacksaw voice For just a second here Upstate New York boy, so I'm gonna try this again And <clears throat> These two men are trained to do one thing. Destroy, attack, and destroy. Okay, that's either <laughs> two or three things, depending on your counting ability. But you know what? Hacksaw was never seen as, you know, a genius. WWF already had one of those at the time we saw him later. But my, I actually had to rewind and say, did he really say what I think he just said? And then, yeah. So that, that to me is the only part of this promo that really stood out. Um, So Mick Foley tells a story And it was on one of those old um, Legends of Wrestling round tables That they used to have And they're on the the network And who knows how true this story is I think I've mentioned it once or twice In in the shows that we've talked about But he says that when Terry Taylor and Mr. Perfect Both came into the WWF It was at a similar time And you know he jokes about how they were You know using the, the box of gimmicks And trying to figure out what character Each of them was going to be and it was close to making Terry Taylor a Mr. Perfect. And it's just amazing to think about when you see these two guys in the ring. Because Terry Taylor isn't 
awful in the ring But there's something weird um, About I don't know if it's his stance Or the way he goes about Moving it's just a little Off to me I mean this is a super Short match this only goes three minutes and 20 Seconds and Mr. Perfect gets the Win I mean it's just it's a quick start it's Back and forth some wrestling and they Go outside of the ring as they're Climbing back in Mr. Perfect gets a perfect Plex for three it's it doesn't Even feel like three minutes honestly Um so it's it's hard. I guess it's hard to grade what they're doing here. Andrew is they're obviously very high on Kurt Henning, Mister Perfect, and I, I think they're starting to build him here. But I don't know how much this really did for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy you mentioned the story about how they may have been in line for the others' gimmicks, and it's a fun what if. I don't know how much truth there is to it, but it's fun trying to imagine Mister Perfect clucking around like a rooster. We actually got a little bit of that in this match because he sort of mocks Terry Taylor's strut. Poor Terry Taylor. How was this ever supposed to get over? I don't understand what WWF was thinking here. And this is something we've talked about with a number of other gimmicks. Like, for instance, let's go with the Godwins in the mid-90s. Vince McMahon is talking about them possibly having relations with farm animals. That's supposed to get who over? What's the point here? Yeah, it's It makes my head hurt a little bit when I think about it too much. There is one really good sequence in this match. They go back and forth for about 20 seconds and it ends with Hennig falling on Taylor mid-slam. I thought that was a pretty good little sequence. It seemed like they got the go-home signal early on this match. It seemed like this was supposed to be a six- or an eight-minute match and somebody tipped somebody else off saying, hey, first couple of matches went long. We got to cut a couple of minutes here. Go home. That's what this seemed like to me. Yeah, so again, not, not much. Perfect's going to have a, a nice little run here But this is things are, are really getting started And he's another big uh, big name player Who was you know what AWA where, where he did a lot of his best work uh, Hennig and, and, and now he's here So we're seeing Folks show up at this show that have Made names for themselves In, in other places This next match I thought was a ton of fun too We've um, We've got the Rujos And Rick Martel Against the Rockers and Shawn Michaels So we've got a bunch of really, really solid workers in the ring uh, Before we get to this though, we have a quick quick words backstage Mean Gene with Rick Rude, Bobby Speaks Take two, take two Yeah, he, he which was funny and I thought there was one good line He said, uh, tell Warrior he won't have to paint his face tomorrow Because he's going to have a blue eye and a black eye So that was a, that was a good one um, But we didn't, I mean, it this wasn't much. It wasn't a very long promo or anything. We'll have a, a fun warrior promo to discuss in a minute and a, a Hulk and Brutus one a little bit later on. That's also <laughs> laughable. Um, so we get this really good match, Andrew. And uh, Jesse's calling him Chico immediately, but we don't get a ton of the, the, the Mexico stuff. He mentions one thing about wearing a Mexican hat. Um, rockers are flying around early and. Jesse has a fun line here. He says, uh, "Are they legal in the ring? I said all along, ninety percent of the rockers double teaming is illegal, and the refs let it go just because they're pretty boys." It, super fast pace. Everyone taking turns in and out. And Martel is so great here with the character and the cartwheels and the prancing around. And Jacques Rougeau is taunting the crowd. And the heels—they're working on Chico for a while. Tito is in the match for nine minutes straight. Getting worked on And while he's getting worked on Andrew 
I think the heel team comes in four or five times each. This is just textbook tag. They cut the ring in half. It's fun. The heels are cheating. They've got a couple heels that are really good at, at pissing off the crowd. And you've got the baby faces that the crowd is really into. I forgot about how, you know, over Tito Santana is at this time. And the crowd loves the rockers too. Anytime Tito and Martel would have little interactions, crowd ate it up. The reason Tito Santana was seen as a jobber in the early to mid-90s for a very long time is because he had a really strong run in the 80s to where he built up his credentials. And people forget how good he was in the ring, not just as a tag team guy, but as a singles guy. They break up strike force. They put this match together with six guys who, when they're on their game, are all tremendous workers, every one of them. First of all, seeing a Marty Jannetty match after all the stuff that's happened, awkward, really awkward. And I just want a disclaimer here. I pointed this show out as the one we were going to go to before everything happened in the last week that show or imply or hint that maybe he killed the guy at some point. Um, so it was really strange when I heard the Rockers music and went, that's Shawn Michaels and oh no. But... Anyway, Andrew, in fairness, if we have to go through wrestling rewatches, like avoiding awkward stuff, we're going to run out of content really precisely. It's just this was unexpected awkwardness. I'm just saying Uh, Jacques Rougeau is big for him here. Like he's he's been on something. He was big in his upper body at that point, and he would lose this when he became the Mountie not too long after this. Jesse Ventura goes nuts at the faces being in the ring at the same time. Gino, you mentioned that. I love Jimmy Hart's jacket. His outfits are usually ridiculous, but I'm partial to the jacket with the Florida de Lee on it that he wore when he managed the Rujos. I always thought that was really cool. Uh, they teased the Santana Martel showdown for a while because Martel comes in, always gets a few shots, and then tags out immediately trying to sell that he's scared of his old tag team partner. Jesse Ventura goes, he's playing a mind game with Chico. I thought that was pretty funny. Tito Santana plays a great Ricky Morton here. He gets the crap beaten out of him, as Gino mentioned, for nine minutes. And the crowd just slowly gets amped up and amped up and amped up to the point where every time he so much as hits a punch, the crowd goes bonkers. And when Tito finally makes the hot tag to Shawn Michaels, oh boy, that's one of the biggest pops of the night. And we had Hulk Hogan at the peak of his powers later on in the main event. So that's saying something. This was a really fun match. And as I mentioned with the tag team opener, they're not doing anything complicated here. This is old school psychology played to a hilt. Martel gets a cheap pin after running and following the chaos. Sort of a similar finish to what we saw in the opener. But this match was really, really, really good. And given the guys involved, that's not a surprise. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a high flying kind of fast paced match, with the exception of, of you know part of the uh, Tito stuff where he's getting beat up a little bit. Y- you don't get a lot of Sean in this match, and I know you get the hot tag, but even off the hot tag, he's only in the ring for maybe ninety seconds as a legal man doing action. So, yeah, you know, I almost wonder if Sean might have been hurt here or something like that because he was in the match for so little, um, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, one one move that I do love of of Jacques Rougeau, he's got a real pretty backwards flying elbow, doesn't he? That that move that he mm-hmm. does that, that Shane McMahon, you know, does now in, in his matches, 
it's a real pretty move. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's high flying, fast paced match. You got you got chaos a couple of different times. The commentary is great. Like you guys said, you have you have six tremendous workers in there that when they're on the, on top of their game, they're all phenomenal. And it's a highly enjoyable match. You have, uh, you know, you still have the Martel Santana blow off going on from Strike Force. Uh, that's seemingly been going on for for a year at this point. Um, but yeah, really enjoyable match. Fits well in the middle of the card. Good bridge, and, and really does a good job in getting the crowd worked up for the next match, which is, uh, in in my opinion, probably the best match on the card. Which is kind of a crazy thing to say when you're talking about the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, this is good. There's just nothing that I really disliked about this. When the heels are cheating, Tony says at one point, come on, ref, get Raymond Rougeau out of there. And Jesse says, hey, Shivani, you just called the match. Don't you try to make predictions or tell referees what to do. And Tito has a near fall, and Jesse says, Chico almost pulled one out of his Mexican hat there. And the crowd starts chanting Tito. And... Yeah, Darren, you're right though. Sean's not in this a whole ton. It's one of those things you, you don't really realize until you, you pointed it out. And at the end, we get the hot tag to Sean's suplex, knee off the top, all six men are in the ring. Rockers go to work. Tito hits the flying forearm on Martel. Uh Gennetti has Jimmy Hart, all hell's breaking loose, and somehow Martel pins Marty for a, a steal of a, a W there. So really fun match. And we get a build up package for Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude. And I gotta say, you know, rewatching these pay-per-views back um, now, we always get told that the Ultimate Warrior can't really work. And we've all seen some of his matches that weren't good. We talked about one of them here in 1998, Halloween Havoc in WCW. You're welcome. <laughs> but but I got to say, you, you look at WrestleMania five against Rick Root. Big match. He was excellent. SummerSlam, big match against Rick Root. He's excellent. Um, I think, you know, 90, WrestleMania, Hulk Hogan, big spot. He's excellent. WrestleMania, again with Rude at SummerSlam, he's really good. Big match with Savage, both times with Savage, he's really good. In in all of his big spots, he did really deliver. He did. So the more and more I go back and watch him, he does things in this match that I never remember the Ultimate Warrior doing. A German suplex? You know, like he he actually pulls some wrestling out in here. He actually sells and doesn't look like he's spazzing out when he's selling. It, it's really good. And these two guys, for some reason, there's there's partnerships like this in wrestling and in anything where you're just with someone and you just mesh. And these two guys, because you know, I watch a lot of rude matches and he's he's good, but he's there's a lot of guys that you have see rude with. Jake or DB, you know, or, or others that you expect a little more from, and, and they're not there. He does a hell of a job with Warrior and DZ. I know Warrior's your guy, and this is a great match. So we'll start over here with you. I'm just this one impressed me again. I get so impressed when I when I watch his big matches back. Yeah, th- this one I remember. I remember it being good. Um, yeah, I actually thought this match was was better than the WrestleMania Five match as well. Um, yeah, it's but it's kind of weird because Warrior, eh, whenever they give him a belt, they they paired him with Rude, and I wonder, I wonder if it's just because when when they got together, they worked really well together, um, and maybe that showed, you know, because when you think about his title run in '90, Rude was the heel that he went up against, you know, there wasn't really 
you know, until he lost the belt to Slaughter. I mean, there wasn't really much else going on. He had some stuff, you know, with, with Savage as the Macho King and things like that. But him and Savage fought on and off for years. Um, so it, it's kind of funny that regardless of whether it was the IC belt or the or the WWF title, you know, they kept putting Warrior with Rude together. And, and I'm sure that, that 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 was by design because they probably thought they had something with the two of them. Uh, I, I thought... You know, look, does Warrior tell a story in the ring? You know, no, the story normally is, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a absolute maniac and I'm just gonna come in and hit the ropes at a thousand miles an hour. Um, this match, I wouldn't say it told a personal story, but you you kind of get more into it than than other warrior matches. It just seems to have more flow to it, probably because these guys do have good chemistry. But you're right, Warrior does some stuff here. You don't really see him do. You mentioned the German suplex. That's one that I had a note on. You know, later on in the match, you know, he grabs him off that top rope and hits him with the suplex like you talked about. I mean, you know, even the rest holds, you know, they have some stories behind them with Warrior powering out, you know, when, you know, yeah, Rude's got him in like that chin lock and, and Warrior's trying to get up and Rude keeps like popping on his back and knocking him down and stuff. And, you know, I love, I love the spot where later on in the match, where Rude is like hitting him in the traps with those shots and the Warriors just like, you know, impervious to it, but he's not doing like the goofy warrior stuff. He's just, you know, he's just there, like just shaking it off. And then he starts belting Rude with it. You know, that was a cool spot. Um, you know, I mean, later on it hits a real nice pile driver on Rude, very well executed. So, yeah, the bottom line for me is that you, the, you get a lot more technically sound wrestling in this than you would expect in a Warrior match. And it's almost to the point where I'm thinking, like, maybe we should sell him too short. Maybe he's actually not as bad I agree. in the ring as we thought. I agree. You know, maybe, maybe if they actually gave this guy a match where he didn't have to be blown up after three minutes and the guy across the ring – then listen, I'm not saying that he can work with a broomstick. But if you give them a guy that's good enough and that they, they, they're they in sync and, and they have good chemistry, you, you get a pretty good match. And you mentioned, I mean, you know, from beginning of 89, you know, through, you know, the, the Savage match in 87 and, and the Savage match in 92, you get some damn good Warrior matches. And to be honest with you, probably why I like them a lot, you know, as Those, a kid. I mean, um, an honest question, would you take – the Warriors' best matches, the ones that I just mentioned, or the Hogan best matches? I think the Warrior ones, because of the two with Macho, are better than anything. And the couple with Root are good. Yeah. Now, with with Hogan, you know, we've got the Hogan-Macho is good. Hogan-Andre is awesome. Like, I like that more than people do because the the, the three mania and, and the feel and everything, that's really good. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... Oh, we're talking Hogan Slaughter, Hogan Warrior. You know that is one where they both were good. His his big matches yeah. were all really really good. And Andrew, I mean, you know, before uh, we got right into it, I wanted to, to let Darren talk a little bit about this beginning because I know how much he likes Warrior in this match. But Andrew, before we even get into this, we get this packet, this filled up package for Warrior Rude, which is really good and it's long and it goes through all of their history. And we get this promo from the warrior. <laughs> he comes in from the other room and he interrupts He's me and Gene and he says, The conditions that I have already continued to worsen as I have. And then he says something about straight jackets and rubber rooms across these weak planets. The power will become the eighth wonder of the world as we hear you alive. 
I don't know. I mean, this is what I think he said. Then he says Root is going to surrender to the gods above him and, he, and beats him one, two, three. I mean, <laughs> this was one of those out there ones for Warrior. All right. Here's the thing. If you watch an Ultimate Warrior promo in the late 1980s, I'm not going to say the 90s because as he got more established as a star, I will argue his promos got slightly better to the point where he at least got where he was going. Yeah, they were focused more. He at least you could he talked about the the warriors and the spirit, and it just it felt like it had more direction. Yes. Now, if you can watch a late 80s warrior promo and understand it, you need to go to rehab. I'm just saying this is out there miles away stuff where he might have been one of those guys who would have benefited from somebody handing him a script as opposed to everyone else in the locker room who shined with the creative freedom that they were given. This was another one of those promos where you just, you're looking for somebody with a transcript who could maybe translate it into English. I I rewound it back, rewound. I kept playing it back five times, six times, trying to jot down word for word what he was saying. And I, I, I have no idea. I just, no idea. Okay. (laughs) Now, for this trick, I'm going to need a volunteer. Gino, Darren, which one of you wants to be Shivani? I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. All right. Um, so, backstory. Warrior press slams Rude onto the floor for a lead-up. And this, for some reason, drives Jesse Ventura insane. This is the lead-up to this. There was no call for that. This is professional wrestling. You wrestle inside the ring. This guy's a lunatic. And there's a couple other things. So they work their way over to the ring announcer stand where the belt is. Warrior grabs the belt. Warrior whacks Rude in the back. (laughs) Full view of the referee. That should be a disqualification. Gino, you're lying. Well, uh, I I mean, they were outside of the ring. So, I mean. So what? What are you going to tell me, Shivani? You can shoot somebody outside the ring as long as it's outside the ring? You know, uh, you're even uh, dumber uh, than Monsoon. Nope. And I thought uh, Gorilla was the uh, stupidest guy uh, alive. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was just amazing. I mean, awesome. it is one of the best. <laughs> it is one of the best Jesse. Inter- because the thing about Jesse and Bobby is... Bobby is sort of like this, but he's less like this. What makes Jesse such a good heel announcer is that the things that he points out, he's right. He's right. When he points out a ref is screwing one of the guys or something's happening or he's right. And he always is on the right side of Gorilla or in this case, Tony. And that's what makes him so credible when you listen back to him through the years because he's not... And he'll do those things where he's obviously laying it on with some of the heels that he he does, or he has his shtick. But the things that offend him are actually mistakes or real things that he's just calling, which I love. Yeah, it's the old Michael Hayes philosophy. A heel always believes 100% that he is in the right. And in a lot of instances, Jesse Ventura was, in this case being one of them. The line that you missed, though, was right after the rant where Shivani tries to no-sell it and goes, right to the head. And for some reason, that always cracks me up. I don't know why, but it always cracks me up. Now, going back to what you and Darren were talking about a little bit with the match itself, I will make the argument that Rick Rude was the perfect foil for the Ultimate Warrior because he's big enough and built enough to where you could take him seriously if it devolved into a fist fight, 
but he was a good enough wrestler to lead Warrior through a match without Warrior tripping over his own two feet. Look at the opponents that he was going up against. Hogan obviously worked, but that's because Hogan was Hogan. DiBiase, not really. Andre couldn't work at that point. Hercules, the main guy that Warrior was feuding with when he was rising into a star, that didn't really work because Hercules couldn't lead him through a match. Rude obviously could. This was a case where those two guys and what they brought to the table meshed perfectly. Now, they did not like one another. There are stories of Rick Rude knocking the Ultimate Warrior out with one punch in a dressing room brawl back when they were both in the Intercontinental title picture. And Rude actually left the WWF over what he perceived as a bad payoff for main eventing the next year's SummerSlam in a cage match with Warrior. Warrior got a lot more money than Rude did. Rude took that as a sign of disrespect. He wound up going to Japan, and then he wound up going to WCW. Really cool story. Now, this match, very, very good. This was Warrior's best match to date. You could argue the Savage matches after this were certainly better, but this was Mm -hmm. the match where... If you watch this and you heard the pop after Warrior won the title. This is why he, he got pushed. This is why 100%. crazy not to push the guy. 100%. This sure. is why he was the guy. This was the match yep. that he sold Vince on. This exactly. match right here saying, I can be your guy now. Yep. And, you know, we, just what you were saying, I think the only thing that may have, maybe it could have changed a little bit for him was getting to work with Savage a little bit earlier. You know, if, if he just got to work with Savage instead of Slaughter, let's say, Warrior, and you get a good feud with Savage there instead of that stuff with Slaughter because, you know, we talk about it. What ends up happening in, in this main event, I think it hurts Savage. You know, just the way he's booked, the way that he, with the flying elbow and Hogan pops right up. He just, he he feels like he's not even on Brutus's level when they're in yep. the match, which is, and, and that just hurts Savage, who had been the main event heel for a while. And it, and it ends up backfiring and hurting Warrior a little later on. So, yeah, I mean, this... Yeah, this was good. Let, let, let's kind of clean up some of the, the stuff here. So at the very beginning, we get one of Rude's best with the microphone, too. Summer Slam Sled Hog. Yeah, what I like to have right now is for all you fat, out of shape, Summer Slam Sweat Hogs. Keep the noise down while I take my robe off and show the ladies what a real sexy man looks like. He's got warrior crying painted on his tights and deafening reaction for UW, the ultimate warrior and... Um, Jesse's furious right away because he press slams Rude outside the ring. There's no call for that. The name of the sport is wrestling. You wrestle inside the ring. This guy's a lunatic. I don't like him. He goes by his own rules. And uh, Andrew and I did the uh, the back and forth. And then at the very end of that, Jesse even says, this is ridiculous that Joey uh, Morella is allowing this to take place in, in an intercontinental championship match. Um, I mean, double axe handle from Ultimate Warrior, some suplexes here in... Warrior even mimics Rude and does a little hip wiggle, showing a little personality and a sort of a different side here. He hits a, a pile driver. Ref crawls over, and it was like 2.9, and Rude gets his foot on the ropes. Really great spot. And this was like one of the best uses of his repertoire. And, and as Andrew had said, for sure, up until this point, there was one scary spot that I don't know. It, when Rude goes for the pile driver, and, and I don't know what happened, but but Warrior kind of curls up and it ends up being a weird sort of power bombish thing and he kind of drops him on the back of his neck. It it looked like it yeah. could have been scary, but it, it it ended up being okay. It just kind of ended up being a power bomb. But it was that was one of the only 
gripes I have that Piper ends up coming down, the crowd's nuts, and and Piper distracts Rude to further their storyline here. And then Ultimate Warrior comes from behind. He hits a German suplex, and then the shoulder tackle, Gorilla Press, and the splash for the W. He's the two-time IC champ. And DZ, this is a title that your man uh, never loses. Nope, he kind of runs with it all the way up to uh, all the way up to WrestleMania six with the match with with Hogan before he relinquishes the IC title when they, you know, realize it's probably not the best idea to have one guy defending two belts and uh, you end up having that IC title tournament, which I believe Perfect wins, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he faces Tino in the final Perfect or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, this is you're seeing all the reasons why. Uh, you know, Vince was probably completely enamored with Warrior at this point, like you touched upon. Uh, and you're right. Based on these reactions, uh, based on what you were seeing, there was no reason why you didn't think, you know, you have Savage as the heel. You take a look at what's going on behind Hogan. Who's going to be the next guy, uh, you know, to run with the torch? And when you go up and down and, and you're looking at the reactions – Who's it going to be? You know, it's not going to be Dusty Rhodes because, you know, we, we've touched on that. Uh, this is the guy with the biggest reaction, and it made sense. Um, his title run, his big title run, is probably somewhat lackadaisical and somewhat poorly booked, and I think he was a victim of poor circumstance. But, um, you know, like we said, and we'll finish it at this, maybe we give him a bit of a, a, a tough, uh, you know, a bit of a tough crit- criticism because – Time and time again, we talk about how his big matches are actually better than we remember. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior was uh, even further off than we thought. Yeah, he, he he's definitely one of the ones that, that stands up uh, when I look back. And we see Sean Mooney out with the fans celebrating. And then we get backstage with Mean Gene and we get a, a row of promos. First, it's Mr. Perfect who tells everyone to listen up. Nobody beats Mr. Perfect. Pretty quick promo. Then he leaves, and Roddy, uh, Rowdy Roddy comes in laughing. Yeehaw! He mentions Pete Rose, Voyager 3. Uh, he says, what does a Scotsman wear under his kilt? His shoes! And he does that because he mooned Rick Rude uh, at ringside to distract Rude in that, uh, in that warrior match. So, and then he asks if George Stein, uh, Steinbrenner is running the Heenan camp. He butchers Steinbrenner's name a little bit. And he calls Bobby the eunuch of the WWF <laughs> um, yeah, And he says Of course it's my fault that Rick Rude lost the title So this was just Piper energetic He's he's only been back for a few months now And he is all over the place Just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks um, We then get Ronnie Garvin Who comes in in the tux And says he has a special assignment And then to me the best of these Was, was by far Bobby the, Bra- Bobby the Brain He comes in He is hysterical He was screaming Screaming how Piper was allowed Why was Piper allowed at ringside He doesn't have a manager's license Mean Gene tells him to settle down And then Rude is pissed He says Piper should uh, Piper showed his Ask Bobby what happened Which I thought was really funny right there He was said You know instead of saying ask He just said ask Ask Bobby And then Bobby says He demands to go back to the ring Restart the match Piper shouldn't be allowed to to be to be go to be to get to go to go. And Mean Gene says, "Hey, listen to yourself, man. You're babbling. You gotta gain composure." I mean, th- that part was so funny. And uh, and then they mentioned intermission. So Andrew, uh, anything that stood out to you in the uh, the little rolling set of promos we got there? 
One thing, actually, and this is a very basic mathematical equation that was very popular in the 1980s, especially if you're eagle-eyed and you know where to look. Piper comes in. If you look closely, he's got blue lips and he's rubbing his nose. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking there was a little nose candy backstage on this evening. (laughs) And I hesitate to say that because a lot of times the word coked up promo gets used by a lot of people in watching 1980s wrestling and it's almost a stereotype this wasn't something that everyone was just shoveling into their nose into their body whatever but this is blatantly obvious if you know where to look and that was just the more I'm i'm like wait a minute his lips are blue he's going at the bottom of his nose trying to dust something off yep that's coke that's what stood out to me Um, yeah, I mean, I remember, I, I, I do remember that. I don't remember thinking it, but now that you mention it, I see it. Um, yeah, coked up promo is definitely a stereotype, but you know, there are some, ter- there are some ter- stereotypes that are just foul. Then there are some that are stereotypes for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Sometimes where there's um, smoke, there's fire, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the, the promo with, um, the promo with uh, where they show the the interview with Sherry and Zeus with I I, I love the savage part of it where he's where, where Zeus is just like <laughs> looks like he's gonna bite Savage's finger off like yeah. like it's like Savage is just pointing in Zeus's face and it's and it's like it's like Zeus you know with his lazy eye is like just staring at this finger you know and it's just like so weird <laughs> like like I don't like like Savage's hand. He's just shaking like crazy. That's and, the weird thing about Zeus. Zeus is like he yeah. the the acting things are which you sh- he should be better at. He's not, you know, like just the little no. things and being able to speak. It's hilarious. He calls yeah. him Beefcake Barber. You know, when they show the other, he can't even get the name right. He just can't. It's yeah. so. Yeah. It, I agree with you that 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 one with with Mean Gene backstage after the intermission where. It's the build-up footage for the story between Hulk and Brutus and Zeus and Macho. And Zeus destroys Hulk and would no-sell everything, and he calls him Beefcake Barber. I mean, it is weird. And what what's weird about this, too, is something we discussed. So, before, before we came on. So, No Holds Barred in the movie, Hulk Hogan is playing a character named Rip. Zeus is really tiny Lister in real life. But he's still Zeus from the movie in WWF. How does that make sense? It's it's like when Robocop is in WCW, you know, it's just like so he's Zeus in what? It just that's the only thing watching this back as someone that's older that I I have a hard time struggling with these like how meta this is uh, uh, in particular. But yeah, we um we had a, a little roll of promos here and and we get to a six man tag now andrew what do we have in this match andrew oh gee we have let me take a look here we have one two and eh, maybe three or four depending on your opinions of x and smash we have big guys that can move everybody drink drink drink, drink. when they announced the the twin towers and andre the giant so this is a six man tag boss man akeem and andre the giant 
Versus Demolition and Hacksaw Jim Duggan The combined weight for the Twin Towers and Andre 1334 pounds They have Slick and Bobby uh, Alongside with them accompanying them to the ring And it's Demolition with ha- uh, Hacksaw With the face mask Jesse said he looks like Jason from Friday the 13th He's got his face painted red, white, and blue When he takes the mask off And I will say This crowd was very, very hot for this And I like what they did For the most part because It's all quick tags You know what we're going to get from these guys, right? They're not great workers They're just big guys who would be better off In a match with a smaller guy But in this situation, the way they put this together Nobody was in there very long Andre, who didn't have much left Was barely in there at all Which is what we would see from Andre When when they kind of hit him well in tag matches The crowd loved it Nobody was in there long enough for it to get too slow Or for it to get too boring And I had I didn't have any problem with this I thought it was it was better than I was expecting it When I saw it And I'm glad they didn't have it go five minutes more And really slow things down Yeah, I, I mean I agree. I mean, you got a lot of meat in the ring, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, Duggan, for me, kind of just fit in with this match. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. The, the whole demolition mask, King Duggan thing. Like, he just kind of, like, to me, sticks out like a sore thumb with the other five guys. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Like, the Twin Towers were such an imposing, you know, imposing tag team at the time. And obviously, Demolition and Andre... And then you got, like, goofball Duggan with, like, the red, white, and blue face paint and stuff. I mean, you know, the crowd's into Duggan. Like, they, oh, I, I look, I'm, I'm biased because I was never I was never a Duggan guy. I always thought it was, like, corny and cheesy, even, even as a kid. Um, but you're right. At least you do, get, you do get fast tags in and out. You don't, get, you don't get, like, a lot of just drawn-out rest and stuff like that. The match is only about seven minutes long. You know, you... It's, you know, you get the Andre sitting down on, on Axe spot, you know, so you get Andre getting a little love. You know, all, all the Andre stuff is going to be pretty slow and methodical, as you would expect. You know, but I'll tell you one thing, man. Boss Man is big here. Did you notice that? Yeah. I mean, he's really big. He's always a big guy. He's, he's big here. Like, I, I mean, I remember that he was bigger back then compared to – what he looked like in like 91, 92, mm-hmm. but man, big. Um, yeah, you get Akeem going up to like the second rope and, and hitting a splash and stuff. So you get like kind of your big guys that can move. And of course, at the end of the match, you know, you get your your crowd pleasing finish, of course, with Duggan with the with the two by four. It's fine, it's fun, it's enjoyable, you know. It's it's cool. It's you know, nothing terrible, nothing great. Kind of one of those matches that I forgot about and watched it back and I had a couple of laughs. Darren, I'm going to send you an invoice for using big man that can move. I'm just saying. Yeah. Little, you have 37 cents, whatever it costs to, you know, send a postage stamp. I don't know. Anyway, I, I like this match. I thought it was fun. You guys nailed it. It was incredibly well booked. It was seven, eight minutes, really quick tags. Andre can't do a ton, but if you look on his face, he's clearly having fun with this. The other guys in the ring are really enjoying themselves. Akeem in particular, I'm going to give a shout out to because he does a nice job bouncing around in here for demolition. We know boss man can sell. He's probably the smallest guy of the three. So that's not a shock, 
But Akeem had his working boots on for this one, and he had no problem selling for Demolition and for Duggan. Smash has a really good spot where he slams Bossman and Akeem back-to-back, and then he tries to go after Andre, and that predictably doesn't work too well. Ref gets distracted. Hacksaw hits Akeem with the two-by-four, and Smash pins him. Not crazy about the finish, and the match wasn't what I would call particularly good. But you know what? For what this was, the first match back after an intermission, you're trying to get the crowd fired up again. This checked the box. I enjoyed myself watching this, even though it wasn't particularly well worked by anybody's standards. Yeah, I think it was just a, a slightly more than I was expecting. And so, you know, you look at some tag matches on this show that I really enjoyed. We got a, a Warrior Rude match that was really good. This one surprised. It, then the last few, I didn't really love. Um, we, we'll get into them individually. I can understand where they were, but this Valentine. Uh, Ronnie Garvin feud was kind of a weird one It just sort of felt out of place because Valentine didn't really get I mean when was the last feud That Valentine had had before or after this He was never really in Feuds you know he was just Someone that would show up and and wrestle you On superstars or be you know Be on the opposite side or in a tag or You know with Jimmy Hart but There were very few storylines With Valentine and so this one with Garvin no, I, I didn't even mind some of the the Garvin stuff that he was saying when he was the ring announcer. There were a few cute things that he that he did, and he was you know making fun of uh, making fun of Jimmy Hart, and you know it's okay. It's he so Ronnie Garvin comes out after a, a quick million dollar man Virgil promo, very basic. Uh, Ronnie Garvin's out to the ring to announce the next match. Uh, Hercules, Greg Valentine, he calls Valentine the so called opponent, accompanied by the pipsqueak big mouth of the South. Says Greg is overweight about 30 pounds And calls his manager Wimpy and Little Jimmy And that Greg has two left feet And a robe of cheap rhinestone This match only goes three minutes Um, It's really quick It's more about furthering the feud With Valentine and Garvin Which I believe has their blow off At Royal Rumble 1990 So this thing still goes for about you know five more months After this Um, It's it's just really not much it's, it's it's a three minute match And Valentine gets the win And then after the match Garvin actually announces Most of the match the hammer is distracted By Garvin who's sitting ringside uh, Valentine cheats He gets a roll up with his feet on the ropes And then Garvin Announces The winner Hercules He says I, I misunderstood the winner of the match by DQ Is Hercules Garvin comes yeah. in and nails Greg Valentine But DZ, I mean, this just this isn't really much. No, it's a, it's a quick match. It's one of those, you know, get the guys in the car, get them paid kind of matches. Doesn't do much. The Garvin stuff at times can be funny. Uh, they should have announced him as the special guest referee also because he kept changing the decision, which was kind of weird at the end, and you get this feud kind of building up. But, yeah, I mean, not very memorable. Don't even really remember the Valentine Garvin feud. Don't want to spend more than 30 seconds talking about a three-minute match. It is what it is, so I'll leave it at that. But just one of those fillers. couple of good lines from Shivani and Jesse. Uh, Garvin comes in. He starts the ring announcing. Shivani says, he's doing a good job. Jesse Ventura, indignant, yells, he's reading cue cards. (laughs) I thought that was really funny. Garvin had a couple of good lines. He said, Greg Valentine is the only wrestler he's ever seen with two left feet. You can't tell if he's coming or going. That was pretty good stuff. The rest of it was just all sort of there and was window dressing. So I I can't spend too much time talking about it. But Garvin made me laugh a little bit. Going back a little bit, though, 
you sort of glossed over the DiBiase promo. Sure. What'd you, what'd you think there? It's an uncomfortable watch. He calls Jimmy Snuka a native. Oh and yeah. And an aber- yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, says he's, right. and says he's going to be another sorry statistic in wrestling. Oh boy. Like yeah. talk about another promo. You can't do 31 years later. This is something that if they had even tried this 15 years later, there would have been outcry of ridiculous proportions. DiBiase was a heel, obviously. He was a snob. So it did you know, fit his character to a certain extent. But they went a little far with that aspect of Snuka. And we'll get to that in the next match. So we are to our final two matches now. And we've got... Before we got, actually, we talked a little bit about this promo, Andrew, uh, a few minutes ago, but it actually comes up right now. This is the one with uh, with the Macho Man, Zeus, and Sherry. They're backstage with Mean Gene. They've got that wheel weird car- cauldron of madness, and it's supposed to help them destroy Hulk and Brutus. I mean, Sherry looks absolutely absurd with what the makeup she's got on. Um, Macho is, like, looking into the cauldron. He calls Brutus the weak link. And this is crazy. It shows you how much trust they have in Zeus. He didn't say one damn word. He's just <laughs> muttering. He's just, ugh, ugh. It's like, no, we tried to give this guy one line to say, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And he said, Beefcake Baba. And so we're not even going to let him say a word. But I I don't know. The, I understand why they had to have Macho in this match Macho needs to be a work to be worker And he ties the storyline together Because he had been Hogan's Previous feud and rival for a while But it just I don't know it feels Macho man just Feels out of place in here it just doesn't Feel he feels like such a side Player in all of this because this really was You know a Hogan Zeus feud Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure who you were leading that oh, to, yeah, but I guess yeah, yeah. I'll uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess in. I'll take it. Um yeah, yeah, it's uh it's weird, it's strange. Sherry Martell scared the crap out of me. Uh the the thing I will say though is a young Andrew did meet Sherry Martell at an independent wrestling show in Wildwood, New Jersey. My dad was no Sherry Martell fan before that, but Sherry Martell, God bless her, was incredibly nice to eleven or twelve year old Andrew. That was the same show where there's a photo of me getting choked by King Kong Bundy. It was that show. Sherry Martell, very nice. Very sorry that she unfortunately is no longer with us. But she did a lot in the business. And she would wind up having a role not just in the main event, but after the main event, she was the heel that ultimately got the real comeuppance. And we'll talk about that later. Yeah, and right after this uh, this backstage promo, Tony says he doesn't know who's mo- more bonkers, Honky Tonk Man after getting hit by the own guitar, or Sherry, which I thought was a, a funny line there. Um, and now we get Ted DiBiase with uh, with Virgil versus Jimmy Snuka, and it, he grabs the mic and he says he's the man that ended Jake the Snake's wrestling career, and. Ted goes after Jimmy Snuka, but he misses and he ducks out of the ring. And then DiBiase and DiBiase actually ends up nailing Virgil. So the first minute or so, it's all super fly. Jesse says he's like he's like an animal. He can always be trained and always outsmarted. And they botch this leapfrog. Superfly lands on DiBiase, 
And Jesse and Tony are arguing about If Jimmy can actually strategize Or if he's just all animal instinct Jesse says he's a Neanderthal With a hard head um, We get a stun gun from DiBiase He drops Snooka across the top rope Which is a cool spot Jesse says it's instinct wrestler versus thinking wrestler And DiBiase's in charge for a bit But he misses from the top rope And that's when Snuka, uh, Jimmy Snuka takes over We get a headbutt off the middle rope And he goes up top for the splash But Virgil comes over and distracts him So Snuka jumps down and follows Virgil That's when DiBiase attacks from behind and When Jimmy is down on the outside He gets counted out And he gets mad afterwards and attacks Virgil and DiBiase And Jesse's pissed Now that's a sore loser Jimmy Snuka could face a fine or a suspension Totally bad sportsmanship What a sore loser And Snuka hits the splash on Virgil And more. And this splash I will say DZ This thing was like halfway across yeah. the ring Snuka didn't quite have what he had You know years earlier when he was a, a much bigger draw on the card But this splash looked damn good And the crowd popped and you know they were uh, they were ready for uh, you know the main event. Yeah, I mean Snuka, you know maybe he wasn't as good as he once was, but you know he's better than most at that to say the least. Uh, he could still fly, you know he's still he's still in damn good shape at this point of his career, even though he's getting a little bit long in the tooth. DiBiase, of course, can sell better, you know, than almost anybody. Uh, he does that one, you know, flip over the top rope where it looks like he got launched out of a, out of a cannon. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of a random match that that's there. Um, you know, it gets you keyed up for the main event. It's fine. I uh, enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it's always a little bit weird watching Snuka for obvious reasons, and we've talked about that yeah. in the past. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I I enjoyed the match for what it was. That there's no story to it or anything like that. But as just as it existed in a vacuum. You know, it, it was fine. Nothing terrible to say about it. For me, the leapfrog spot sticks out like a sore thumb. And the way the commentary team played it off, oh, that does not age well. I mean, just thinking about how, you know, Snooka is an animal. And not in, yeah. like, the animal Batista in, like, you're not from here, so you're an no, animal. No, they're saying, like, an in, like Neanderthal yeah, animal. Yeah, that was, that was not good. And I got to tell you, after that, I sort of lost interest in the match. And then you add in the non-finish at the end. That didn't help. I will say Snooka's splash still looks like a thing of beauty at this point. Virgil is almost halfway across the ring. Snooka deliberately takes the longest route possible to get to him, and he lands it flush. So uh, credit where it's due there, but the rest, uncomfortable watch. Okay, we get this promo backstage. It's Mean oh, Gene dear. backstage oh, with, with Hulk and, and Brutus. And, um, I mean, it's funny because... I, I bet you when Hulk saw this back the first time, he probably just laughed at himself because his first line is, well, you know something, me and Gene, ever since me and the barber hooked up, we've been hanging and banging. Oh, oh okay. Um, sure. Uh, then he mentions that there's traffic all over. So when they're on the way to the, the arena, they end up going towards the river and it parted like Moses with the Red Sea. Brutus talks for a minute. And he talks about his titanium steel blades And then Hogan talks about riding Harleys I mean, this one in the Warrior promo Between those two promos and the, the cauldron stuff With Savage and Zeus and Sherry There were some, even and Piper I mean, Andrew, 
you 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 might have been onto something. That that stuff might have been floating around backstage in this particular night because there were some guys that cut good to great promos that all seemed to kind of swing and miss tonight. Yeah, and as a New Yorker, talking about swimming across the Hudson River when there was traffic on the George Washington mm-hmm. Bridge. Oh, boy. I mean, first of all, knowing what was in the Hudson River in 1989, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Mind you, it's 31 years later, and some of the stuff is still in there, but just knowing how polluted that body of water was, all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan's 24-inch pythons, they make a little bit of sense. So they cut this promo, and Beefcake gets really obsessed with the shears. And I'm looking at this going... He's supposed to be a baby face and he's presenting the shears like a serial killer. Yeah, it's creepy. Uh, Sure. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This was bad. DZ, anything on the uh, on the uh, your your boy Hogan? I figured you'd, yeah. you'd have something to say about him in this one. <laughs> I'm speechless. Um, I know, and we don't get no, that often. It's, I, 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 no, I, I really, I, to be honest with you, I forgot about it. Um, and watching it back, I, I was just so like entrenched in just the hysterical lunacy of it all that um, I, I really did not even understand what was happening in that promo. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess it was live. I guess it was live, so they couldn't edit it. Um, but, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I, there was a couple of weird things, and, and it's as we segue, you know, into the match, here's one thing, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll send it right back to you, Gino, that really confused me. So you go from that promo, you build up the whole main event. Now, Savage's music hits, and here they come. This always bothered me. Why do you have Zeus just walking out with Savage to Savage's music? Right behind him. Like It, it makes it yeah. seem even weirder that Brutus doesn't come out with Hogan. That makes it seem even weirder that Brutus nice. comes out to his so own you're music. Good- I completely agree. It just, it right. was weird. And, and we didn't have, like, I, you didn't need music at this time. I mean, the Brainbusters, there were a lot of acts that still didn't have music. It wasn't weird to just come out. So if you're going to have Zeus just come out first, maybe, and then Savage behind him, that would be fine. Or, but yeah, I agree with you. I didn't like the way they did that. And then I, it, everything about this match made me feel like they were trying really hard to push Brutus up. I mean, when he comes in at one point and he's like actually getting the better of Zeus, which Hogan hadn't done the whole match. And he's, I just, that was one of the things that I didn't like. It, it made Savage seem very meaningless. And I, I agree with you at that point with, with Zeus coming out. Um, it just, I didn't like the setup. I didn't like a lot of things about this match. Um, the crowd didn't mind though. And yeah. it, it, the genius comes out and he cuts his, his poem. And it was okay. My favorite line was, uh, Brutus Beefcake and Hulk Hogan will be running for their lives. The highest card they're holding is a deuce. They are totally unqualified to match the Royal Flush. That should be coming from the Macho Man and Zeus. <laughs> I thought that was uh, one of his clever ones. He was good. You could tell he loved doing this, too, when you hear Lanny talk about it. He loved uh, this genius character. Sherry's in the sparkling silver outfit. 
She looks insane with all that makeup Jesse says Sherry is a real woman And Tony has a good way He says really weird Which was was quick, just quick on his feet And then separate entrances for Brutus and for Hulk Hogan I mean the crowd's pumped for Brutus and, And they're obviously, you know, crazy for Hulk And when they get in the ring Hulk whispers to Howard Fink And Finkel announces that uh, Miss Elizabeth is here And she looks excellent Red sparkling dress um, We get all four men in the ring to start And Hogan's shots have no impact on Zeus He's trying to slam him Doesn't work Zeus squeezes Brutus Chokes bear hugs Hogan Tags in macho It just Zeus is just so slow He can't even do an Irish whip He just can't even like run at the pace To make an Irish whip look believable Um it's all bear hugs, chokes, shots to the solar plexus. The heels all work on Hogan for the first six minutes of the match or so. And Hogan makes a tag to Brutus. We get the big clothesline, a high knee to Macho. He locks in the sleeper. Macho's able to get out of it and tag Zeus. And then Bruce rakes the eyes of Zeus and he jumps on his back. This is the first impact that we've seen Zeus sort of, you know, stumbling around a little bit. Macho then nails Brutus from behind with the purse. They're talking about this purse like it's loaded. Uh, Sherry's purse And Hulk comes in for a save After a, a few uh, a few different times He comes in for a save Macho ends up running after Liz But then Hulk chases after him And it's Zeus and Brutus in the ring Then Macho tags in it, Zeus looks pissed at this point Because Macho tags himself in He kind of smacks him on the chest You know what Darren was talking about Zeus just looks pissed at Macho Man All the time too even um, Hulk Hogan comes in though, House of Fire He suplexes Macho from outside the ring He's on the apron, into the ring But Sherry pulls Hulk's legs And Macho falls on top This was the same finish spot from Mania 5 Rude and Warrior with Bobby the Brain Heenan Where Rude wins the title So kind of a cool to, cool to see that spot A few months later uh, Macho Man then tags in Zeus Macho hits the This is, Darren, I'm sure you didn't like this spot And this one pissed me off I, I was So Macho, they're working on Hogan He's down Macho tags in Zeus And then he goes to the top rope And he hits his flying elbow And Hulk Hogan just immediately pops up So you're I don't understand Like Macho Man is not The honky tonk man here He's not some mid-carder To kind of goofy comedy act He is still your main heel In the company And one of your top guys Why are you having this happen to him? I do not like it. It bothers me. It really rubs me the wrong way. Um, I, I it just, I, I hated that. I really did. You cannot no sell the top heel in the company that had a year long title reign and you had this big feud with. He hits you with his big move and you just pop right up. Uh, at this point, Zeus is, uh, Zeus starts to feel some of Hulk's punches. They start to have some effect. You get a clothesline and Zeus is down to one knee. Um, Sherry gets on the ropes. And she's trying to distract the referee So Liz flips her over And into the ring Sherry is just bumping like always Uh, Hogan picks up Sherry's purse And I mean there's stuff going on All over the place, the crowd is going nuts Hulk Hogan ends up nailing Zeus With the purse, then the body slam And a leg drop for the win Sherry's in the ring I think she was I think she might have slightly missed the spot She sort of gets caught in there And uh, it's a little awkward but then after the match, this is another thing that you wouldn't see I mean, Hogan gives her an atomic drop And everyone's just cheering for him to smack Sherry Liz ends up nailing Sherry with the purse And then they get the the shears and they cut off Sherry's ponytail So she is 
a big part of this sh- uh, this match and this show, this main event. Jesse is furious that Hogan beat up a woman, and he calls Liz a gold digger. And Jesse is just disgusted with this celebration. And we get like a six seven minute post match celebration: Hogan, Brutus, and Liz in the ring. Andrew, I gotta be honest, I like this show top to bottom. I really do. It just the main events, eh? There are a couple and eh spots. There are three or four really enjoyable matches that I wouldn't mind watching, you know, a couple times here and there. This one, I just, there were too many little things about it that I didn't like. And obviously, you know, we laugh at, at Zeus and, and his work rate. Yeah. And I'm happy Darren is with us because the last time we were all together, he nailed the description of Zeus. So I'm not even going to try to go back and, you know, repeat what he had mentioned. If you want to go back and, and check it out, I'll pause for three seconds so that you can go open a new tab, skew to it, and listen to what Darren said. Okay, we're back. Now, Zeus has no coordination here. This is a guy who could not walk and chew gum at the same time. He just looked like a monster, had maybe two or three moves, and you could tell he had two or three moves, and the instructions were, okay, go out, don't hurt anybody, take the body slam, get splashed, we go home. Macho has to yell at Zeus a couple of times. If you look, he sort of grabs Zeus by the head and has to pull him down a little bit so that he can yell something into his ear. And a couple of times it was get out of the ring because Macho tagged out already. It's pretty funny if you watch and you see Macho try to conduct everybody because, look, for as much as we want to knock Hogan, not a bad worker by any means. Much as we want to knock Beefcake, He could work if he was in there with someone who could lead him. Savage was playing traffic cop here, and he was trying to direct everything that was going on. And I have one of the reasons that we all have so much respect for the macho man, Randy Savage, is he's one of the few guys in the history of the business that could do that with these guys. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. so Hogan actually takes a really big beating early to the point where he tags out, Beefcake comes in, and the crowd goes nuts. That's probably the biggest pop Brutus the Barber Beefcake has ever gotten in the history of his career. When he gets the hot tag from Hogan, people are cheering for him saying, yeah, go Brutus, go beat up Randy Savage. And it's surreal in hindsight because take away the shears and what do you have? Not a whole heck of a lot. So they work some spots around Sherry Martell's purse. First of all, yes, it is a purse. It is not a satchel, Hangover fans. It is a purse. (laughs) So they work a couple of spots around there. Beefcake tags in Hogan. Jesse says something that rubs me the wrong way. He says, oh, Hogan will come in now because it's Macho. Wait a minute. You're telling me that Macho Man Randy Savage, former WWF champion, main eventer, one half of the mega powers, is less dangerous than Zeus? And that's kind of out of character for Jesse, too, because he's such a Macho fan forever. You know, Macho's right. been one of his guys forever. So for right. that, that was, it was almost like there was a point of this match to lower our, our, um, our thoughts of Macho. It was really weird with the commentary and everything about it. I just, as a, as a huge fan of Macho Man, one of my all-time favorites, that I forgot in this match, and I forgot after WrestleMania 5 with Hogan, the way he was sort of treated for about a year 
in until year and a half or so until he got going with the with Warrior. Yeah, and here's the thing that that sort of makes me think because I don't think the intention was to bury Randy Savage. What I think Vince was hoping was okay. We're gonna bring Zeus in. He's a big guy. We'll teach him how to work. He'll be a money-making heel for years. For years, it'll be great, pal. They saw Zeus on camera once, and they knew it wasn't gonna fly. So everything that they had planned suddenly went up in smoke. So Savage hits the elbow. Now I've got a question for both of you, and I'm genuinely interested in this. What's worse? Savage hitting one elbow and Hogan no-selling it. Or Savage hitting five elbows at WrestleMania 7 and Ultimate Warrior somehow kicking out. Well, how about the, the one when they are... It's the alliance to end Hulkamania. Did you, oh, have you no. seen this one in WCW? Yes, I have. When and they're I would on really the same not speak team, of it again. they're oh, on no. the same team, oh, no. and Hogan is down and out in the middle of the ring, and Randy can't wake him up. So, in order to try to wake him up, Randy go. Randy knows he every time I've just every time I've given a flying elbow, he's no sold it, and he just pops right up. So I'm gonna go give him. The, he yes. does it to his own teammate, and he pops up. That's like. One of the most bass awkward things I've ever seen in my life. I it it just bothered me. And I'm and I love and Nick, I'm not someone who's as much of a, a, a Hogan hater overall. I love Hogan a lot, but I, there are things now when we watch back and we look and we could see what he's done, and I think we need to point him out. And this was one of those where it's like you don't need to make Randy look this bad. No, you can you make don't. you can make Zeus look strong without having to make Randy look like nothing. Right. And now, the rest of this after this was, it was what it was. They tried to treat Hogan and Zeus like a dream match. We knew that wasn't going to fly. Hogan grabs the purse, and Zeus takes so long to get back to his feet that Earl Hebner, the referee in the ring, has to find things outside the ring to get distracted by so that Zeus will turn around so Hogan can whack him over the head with the purse. He slams Zeus, leg drop, good night. And then Hogan hits the atomic drop on Sherry. Look, it's 2020. There are intergender matches going on. I understand the need to be progressive, and that's fine. This is supposed to be real Americans say your prayers, listen to your parents, do your homework, eat your vitamins, da-da-da-da, Hulk Hogan. And he's giving an atomic drop to Sherry Martell. Now, yes, Sherry was the heel, but this is supposed to be... The kind of wrestling that, Darren, you were there at the time, eight or ten-year-old kids could go to with their parents. This wasn't the Attitude Era yet. Hogan lifts Sherry up for the atomic drop, and there's a lot of legs showing there. Dresses all the way up, man. And I imagine... (laughs) There's a lot of cheek showing there, too. (laughs) And I imagine the people sitting in certain sections of the Meadowlands got a heck of a show that evening (laughs) that they were not necessarily anticipating. And that's notwithstanding the fact that your white bread baby face probably shouldn't be hitting atomic drops on women. Just saying, (laughs) look, I love this show. The first hour and a half of this show. It's great. It it really is. It might be the best first hour and a half of any pay-per-view of that era, late eighties, early nineties. That's how good this was. Everything before intermission, 
everything from the opening tag match through Rude Warrior. Rude Warrior. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's an hour and a half. If you've got an hour and a half to burn, go watch that. The six-man match after intermission, perfectly fine. A couple of decent spots with Garvin and the Hercules Valentine stuff. But man, this main event, all in the name of, as Darren puts it, Hogan must pose. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, let me ask you guys a question. Have either of you ever seen the movie Face Off? Yeah, I have. Nikki Cage in, uh, in uh, Travolta. So, in in this match, is it possible that Zoots is wearing those, like, heavy metal boots that the prisoners are walking around in that they can barely get their feet? <laughs> he can't even lift his feet, man. This guy can't lift his feet. I, I, he can't even – the guy's like – I don't know if that's, like, part of his, like, shtick. Like, hey, man, when you walk, make it like you have so much leg muscle that it's hard for you to lift your foot off the ground. He was like, the early, um, the the early um, idea for the Undertaker. You know, like this was the Undertaker but yeah, before he yeah. came in. He's like moving that yeah. slow. It was like deliberately, this yeah. guy can't move. And uh, when we talk about, you know, Hogan or Warrior, maybe not being a great worker or Brutish or someone. I mean, you get a look at someone like Zeus, and we have a whole new respect right. for guys like Brutus and Hogan and Warrior. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's true. And to answer Andrew's question about which no cell b- bothered me more, so this one did. And, and the answer, I mean, I'm sure you figured that because it's Hogan, but there's actually a legitimate reason to it. So the, the warrior no cell was not necessarily a no cell; it was a kick out. And I know he hit the elbow like 17 times, but that was the retirement match. Savage was going away for a while. He was coming back as a baby face later. So you didn't have anything going on with him right after it. So that one really doesn't bother me as much as others. This one bothers me because the guy is your mega heel in the company, and he's going to stay that way for a while. And this isn't even a kick out. This is the guy hits the elbow, and and it's like somebody just dropped a bucket of water on, on Hogan's face. Um, I don't know who came up with that spot. That was annoying. Um, the end of the match is putrid. The 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 purse shot to the face, and then this monstrosity of a man, Zeus, who is seemingly impervious to all pain, takes one body slam, and it's like he got shot. Like, body slammed, and he's dead. Like, not, like, motionless from the body slam, dead. Hogan hits the leg drop, one, two, three. And the second the three count hits, Zeus is rolling himself out of the ring. So the guy went from being dead and pinned to three count, rolling myself out of the way. I mean, it's just it's just awful. Um, whatever they were thinking that they were going to get out of this, you know, maybe they got pay-per-view buys out of it and, and, it, and it sold merchandise before. But my God. Was this not the example of something not living up to the hype? Yeah, because uh, the build yeah. wasn't bad. I mean, I honestly, for uh, as, as much as we talked about it, like I remember the Saturday Night Main Event spots were good. He looked, he before he got in the ring, he came off as a scary, imposing, new kind of heel for Hogan, new challenger. 
It when we saw the guy can't cut a promo, he can't say a word, he can't sell, he can't even move himself. Like on offense, he doesn't even really look very imposing, and that's it. Just is it's it's a bummer, and it's one of those things that we'll laugh at because they did come back and have another pay per view with this guy later on. The no holds barred pay per view later in the year where you could buy. The movie on pay-per-view And you got the match before And I believe that match was Brutus and Hogan Versus DiBiase And uh, and Zeus I believe And and they had an entire card That you can go and, and, and check out But I mean There were rumors that they had Ideas of, of it being Hogan versus Zeus At Wrestlemania 6 I'm sure immediately once this guy got in the ring They knew that they could never Could you imagine Hogan trying to go 15 minutes In a singles match with that guy I mean gee Dear, dear lord, no way So, again, another one of those Shows where Sort of felt like SummerSlam 94 to me in that There's some good spots throughout And I think this show overall was was better than that one It's just when you have one or two Like, downer things at the end That aren't that great It really feels like the show isn't quite as good But I liked it, I did, I mean The tag match to open The, uh, the other tag, the six man the rude warrior Really really solid I you know th- I, I didn't have any issues with those But three or four other things that, that seemed like They maybe didn't need to be on a on a big pay-per-view Type card but you know This is still the, the beginning of Them in the pay-per-view era they're still sort of Figuring things out here this is only the second ever SummerSlam so they hadn't been You know producing five and six And ten pay-per-view events a year Like they would come to do so Andrew all in all I think a pretty solid show um, I, I'm glad you, you picked this one I'm glad we got to go back and watch it It's the SummerSlam season I always like going back around this time And watching a lot of the old SummerSlams And there were a few matches that I forgot how good they were Yeah, there's some really good stuff here And you get guys who maybe weren't necessarily At the peaks of their powers But you could see there was star potential there Obviously Brett and Sean being prominent there Warrior and Rude for the IC title That's a tremendous match So much fun Not the least of which because of the Jesse the Body Ventura rant And if you want to hate watch something You get a main event that If that's not one of the better hate watching examples In the history of wrestling It's darn close This was a fun rewatch all things considered It's a cool pay-per-view If you want to sit down and watch it from start to finish It's two and a half hours on the network As we've mentioned before intermission It's an hour and 30 And that's a really quick hour 30 that goes by Because there's some really good stuff In that hour and 30 minutes Yeah, I would agree Um it's a, it like the very, you know, we, we had another pay-per-view. I think WrestleMania 8 was a pay-per-view that we said a lot of similar stuff about with the first Yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Being really good. Because it ends with yeah, a stupid Hogan schmozzy main event. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Exactly. But, no, it's, it's a really enjoyable show. Uh, if you're a Warrior guy, you get one of his better matches. If you're a Bret Hart guy, you get a great tag match to start. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in between. It's it's very enjoyable. It's fun. Nothing. There's nothing too lousy, with the exception of Zeus and the last match. But you know, sometimes it, after you have a good show and you watch back, it's kind of fun to hate watch it. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I think this was the second show that I went to because I was at uh, the SummerSlam the year before, also, which of course was the one where Elizabeth took her skirt off. Talk about people going nuts in 1988. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, back yeah, back, but. I'll tell you what, from 88 to 92, you had a really good stretch of SummerSlams. You, you had some, you know, 88 
88 was a good show. 89 was a darn good show. 90 was a good show. 91 and 92 are probably in my top right. five SummerSlams right. of all time. 91 was one of the first yeah. ones that we did. I think that was your first pick or one of them, DZ, that we talked yeah. about. And uh, I mean, yeah. and then even after that, we just did 94, which wasn't bad. We 93 and 95 are not good, but then you take those two out of the equation. 97 is fine. 98 is fine. 99 is fine. You get into the 2000s. 2002 is really good. There have been a really good, yep. you know, list of Summer Slams, and it it feels like some years it's almost more steady than WrestleMania. Sometimes, you know, we've had WrestleManias that miss, but for the most part. I think there's almost like there's less pressure with the SummerSlam. They can they yeah. can maybe do some feuds that the fans are more into than for, than maybe Vince is into, you know, because he feels like it's not quite as as big or the number one. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's always yeah. one of my yeah. most favorite times rewatching the SummerSlam events. I love them. And and, and on that point, uh, and, and I think it's something that I realized uh, a, a while ago, and, and it speaks to what you just said, especially now. But even sometimes then, a lot of times SummerSlam becomes a second act of WrestleMania because the feuds kind of get brought into the summer. And I almost feel like after having worked together maybe for four or five months and maybe done live shows, you know, during that period of time, and and, and I, I really genuinely believe that you actually end up getting better matches at the SummerSlam between the same guys than you do at WrestleMania. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I think, think about the it, guys get yeah. we, di- we didn't have, which I just kind of thought about right now So 88, 89, at least the first two years, we don't even have a title match 91, we don't even have a title match Three nope. of the first four years, the main events are not even, the, the belt's not even defended But but they're still good shows, even with the Hogan tag matches that aren't the best thing on the show but the 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 warrior one we thought was a little bit better than we remembered with Slaughter, and the the Mega Powers one is a lot of fun too with Jesse in there as the as the referee. So yeah, it just you know before I interrupt you, DZ, it's just they do a really good job with the Summer Slams overall, and you know watching them back and going through them one at a time, we've started to really notice that. Yeah, no, it, we have, and and I'm certainly looking forward 